You're listening to Fakeologist Audio Chat. This is a new and exciting way to communicate with fellow fakeologists from all over the world. Each day we compress and post the day's audio into a file that can be big or small. Discover new voices and ideas that talk about media fakery like you never did before. Please search for Fakeologist Audio Chat and Fakeologist Main Show on your favorite podcast app. To connect to our always on and always streaming audio chat, go to fakeologist.com forward slash audio chat. To listen to the live stream, go to fake11.com forward slash radio 2. Now, on with the audio chat. Saturday, February 18th, year of our Lord 2023. I'm in the live stream, Fakeologist audio chat with Farce Value and Byron. Hey, guys, unmute if you want. Byron, I am unaware of your existence before now. So unmute and for let us know who you are. Farce Value, hello. Byron, hello. All right, who do we got here now? Wild Times, hello? Hey, how are you? I was just wondering who validated these two latest latest guys, and I think it might have been you. I don't know what you're talking about. I would never do such a thing. All right. I haven't yeah. talked to you in a while. How you been? You sound yeah. a little hoarse. It's been a while. Yeah, I got sick uh, like two weeks ago. And this is the only thing left, but I'm, I'm doing great otherwise. Yeah, my voice is, sounds quite thrashed, but I feel fine. All right. Okay. That's good. Yeah. yeah did Farce have his, uh, did Farce have his uh, permission issue fixed? I saw it, but I was coming in here to fix it. I don't know. Okay. I didn't know he had yeah. a permission issue. Apparently not, or he'd be speaking most likely. Ah, uh, he said he didn't have permission to chat. So I'm figuring it out. Oh, but his he's verified voice. Can he speak? I don't think either one of them can, but there we go. There is a message. Why can't they speak if they're verified I don't, voice? I don't, I don't know, Adam. I'll just burn the whole server down. We'll start a new one, right? <laughs> okay, well, that's kind of strange, isn't it? Um, no, I, I, you know, I do have been for a lot of servers in Discord, it just screws up constantly. There's always glitches every day. So we're blaming the tools and not the uh, tool I, I have no idea. Um, you know, everything's worked fine until now, right? So I'm looking. All right, you're examining that. And when you examine it, we'll have to back up the server with the new whatever you do to fix it. Um, yeah, all right, so... They have all the permissions. Is it because they've just joined? Something to do with that? 
I don't know. Either way, this is not the uh, the owner account, but I have the owner account up. So I'm gonna mute. Give me another minute. Uh, hopefully, it'll be talking in thirty seconds. All right. Always some problem with technology and hardware and software. It's a never-ending battle. And I thought they were just ignoring me. All right, I hear noise. Mm. That's farce. I just got farce. I muted. Okay. I'll get by right now. How is he muted? What I don't happened? know. What is I, I, I don't know for sure. Let me uh, do a test with Brian. I'll do something different. Byron, I'll do it differently. Well, for whatever it's worth, whenever I pressed the microphone unmute, I got a message that said I don't have permission to speak. And yeah, so what I did to override, whatever's causing it, what I did to override it was I went and gave him an individual permission in the channel. So now, Byron, I see he's muted, right? I don't see on his control panel. And I muted him and unmuted him. It's still not coming off. I'll server mute him. It's still not coming off. Um, you know, I'll bring in a blank account later on, see if I can figure out what's going on. But just to get you guys talking, let me fix him individually, and then you guys can talk. All right. Well, yeah. welcome back, first value. No clue. No clue. We haven't changed anything. Howdy, I couldn't hear uh, you on Gilded either, but no, I don't know well, what that's when, about. When I first connected to Gilded, I, I had my Bluetooth headset on, which I've been told, this is a new one, that, that the microphone on this sounds pretty good, so I like using it. And uh, But the Gilded was only coming through my speaker and my phone, so I was trying to figure out how to transfer it over to the Bluetooth, and I just couldn't find the settings in Gilded anywhere. And then I I changed something. I think I disconnected the Bluetooth, and after that, it, I was disconnected entirely. You could, I mean, you couldn't hear the mic. I could still hear you, but the mic went away. So, yeah, I need to spend a little time with Gilded if I'm going to be using that and find out where all the settings are. And there's, it's it looks a little like Discord, but it doesn't behave in the same way. You mean you could have disconnected the Bluetooth and we could have talked? No. When I disconnected the Bluetooth, I could hear you, but then the, you couldn't hear the mic. So it, it disabled the mic even. But I don't I don't really want to do the call over speakerphone anyway. I prefer it like it is now with my headset. All right. Welcome. Yeah, well, I was surprised you didn't know where our what our Discord server link was. But uh, let me uh, remind you, yeah, we have a permanent link 
that everyone needs to write down fake11.com forward slash discord or fake11.com forward slash gilded. That is our forever link. And now, why do you feel confident in calling it a forever link? Because I own the link and I just have to update the behind the scenes code if Discord blasts us away. So you can always go to that link to get to our Discord. Unless it's oh. unless it was only oh, blown so away thirty seconds ago. That so that link is it's actually a URL that has nothing to do with Discord. That is correct. Is that it is a uh, URL, a universal resource locator. And then you just change the back end to direct it to the new server. when they... That is correct. Well, okay, that's good to know. Um, I, I kind of feel a little, uh, I don't know, sheepish about not being more involved with Gilded, but uh, what are your thoughts on that once the, the migration happened? Do you feel like the activity dropped off? Like, Significantly. So I never made a migration. That's just the backup server. Oh, I thought, see, I'm so out of the loop. I thought that's what had happened. You're too busy on uh, Beachy's server, on Be Nice. <laughs> well, that's been pretty quiet lately, too. Uh, but what? I guess, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it ebbs and flows, I guess I should say. Waxes and wings, whatever. I mean, it, for fakeologists, my, you know, I don't, I don't know, I'm like a creature of habit. It was always Saturday morning when I, if I wanted to yeah, well, catch up with fakeologists, that was the time. Yeah, that's correct. Well, last, I usually don't tune in unless someone wants to come on so somebody can ping me. Um, no, I'm, I'm waiting on. I'm waiting on Byron to get back to me about if he can unmute. And Cole Clark Ken was, uh, I think, trying to rally the troops this morning, but my, my voice kept me out of it. But yeah, Saturday mornings, uh, hopefully when Ben Wise has a little more time, we can start doing that again. Yeah, but the, you, you can't just go, like, I know Calm Ken, you got to ping people to let us know that you're there. I, I, I can see the notifications that someone came in, but I don't look every five seconds. So someone has to go there and start pinging people to bring people in. That's how it works. I'm not going to sit there because my audio doesn't work. If I'm in the, if I'm in the live stream and then no one's there and then I can't listen to my podcast. No, I mean, I don't know if you know Calm Card, but getting him to do things uh, like ping people, that seems to be, he'll sit on the call in a waiting room. Uh, it was silent for an hour, but he won't ping somebody. So, uh, By Byron, get on mute. Um, I, it'd be cool if you say hi, Byron, just to check your mic. But he said he'll talk when he has something valid to say. I'm not seeing him having a green ring. Um, so if I don't see a green ring, that means your mic isn't getting service. Uh, a lot of times in Discord, when I'm changing permissions, at this point, you just need to close the app, open it back up, and it will work. Oh yeah, his, his uh, or his mic is not hooked up somehow, some way. Yeah, everything can look perfect, totally perfect. And it, sometimes you just need to close the app. You open it up, it'll jump right back in the uh, the voice chat. But that's it. The app just needs to be reset. Um, when you're jumping from 
device to the device, or we change a bunch of permissions at once. Sometimes that happens. You unmute, you think it's going to work, but if I'm not seeing his green ring, that means that the data is not coming through. Yeah, I agree with that. It's not the easiest thing to get going. Technology, that is. Yeah, it's it's very uh, interesting because I... Uh, I got a couple of comments about the events that I've been doing since uh, production has come back. And I got kind of back into it around last spring, right before we moved here. And I've noticed a few things that are a little bit different now. One, one thing that I'm seeing in almost every corporate event, whether it's a shareholder meeting or training or sales or awards saying they're, they're working in DEI and ESG. Oh, do tell. Those are two acronyms. Would you mind uh, describing them, please, to the uninformed? Yes, DEI is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that covers our uh, race, diversity, and Equity, which I find very interesting, if you go Google around on equity, and there's some non-governmental organizations that promote and support this. And it, from when I read the description, it's spelled out pretty plainly to me, although not in exact words, but close enough, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. That is what's flying under the banner of diversity, of equity in particular. So when you hear people talk about equity, it's just another uh, euphemism for communism. And it's, I, I'm seriously, do, go, go do a little uh, Google and look up equity. And, and what they, you know, After and, the break, first value will be there. Hi, this is Heroes. Purple Play. So where do now? Emerald Equator. The Astarian. Bioptic. For science. You're listening to Fakeologist Radio at fakeologist.com. Go ahead, so there's, there's a site called Rise, rise.org, I think, that's sort of dedicated to this. And there, it's so funny because I think the level of sophistication is Dropping. I don't know whether it's by design or just the fact that people are so comfortable with the idea that there's no historical perspective with the current generation. So, and the rise.org on their site, they have uh, like promotional blurbs about their success rates and what. And they describe it as, uh, you know, X number of percentage adopted after our programming. <laughs> and they say it just like that. So they're going to invite, you're going to invite rise into your corporate, you know, employee human resource training day or whatever. And they're going to come and they're going to do their programming. And then your company is going to understand equity better. And. Then the example they use to describe equity is uh, equality is giving everyone a pair of shoes and equity 
is giving everyone shoes that fit and in the right size or whatever. And what's kind of left out of that thing, and it's like the whole thing with all this communism and socialism anyways, well, the assumption is that the shoes are just there for somebody to give. Like, that's my first question. Like, well, where are all these shoes coming from? Who's giving out the shoes? How does that work? Like, yeah, I get it. It's better to have shoes that fit. And, you know, it's equal if everybody had shoes and maybe they're the wrong size. And that's kind of crummy. But what what makes you think that there's just a big pile of shoes sitting around that somebody, all they have to do is redistribute it properly? And that's the thing that the socialists and the communists ignore. They're like, the means of production or whatever, the uh, goods and services, they're just there. It's just a pile of stuff that exists magically somehow. And our big problem that we have to get right is to figure out how to distribute this equitably. So they never they never talk about where all this stuff actually comes from, which I I find kind of kind of funny and and sad at the same time. <laughs> Have you heard of the word communitarianism, Farce? Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, I, I listen to Mark Windows from time to time. He's real big into detailing the, yeah. you know, the evils of communitarianism. Is that his real last name Windows? Uh, I don't know that much about him, so I can't say. It sounds a little I've bit odd. I've never known anyone named Mister Windows. Of course, I never known anyone named Mister Door either. <laughs> or Mr. Roof Mr. I think there's a roof well Dylan Roof there you go there's one yeah well, that's that's not a real person I don't think uh, and his middle name was Storm so there you go yeah <laughs> he's still not a real person even with that middle name Storm uh yeah the uh yeah, this thing we call reality, or that people might refer to as reality, is, is very uh, fluid these days. So you understand the word communitarianism, which is, I don't know, I don't listen to Mark that much, but I have heard him. It's called the third way. Well, I mean, I look at it as there's, you, you can have freedom on one end of the spectrum and then some flavor of totalitarianism, whatever you want to call it, communism, fascism, communitarianism, ism, ismism, at the other end. And our masters are always pushing things toward the totalitarian end. That's their modus operandi. And I guess part of the game is to keep it disguised and camouflaged so people don't realize that it's totalitarianism and they can give it a softer, you know, appeal or something. So people accept it more readily than, yeah, I want to, I want to be told what to do, what I can have and where I can go by some unknown bureaucrat somewhere. Yeah, that's perfect. Sign me up. I want that. I also understood equity to mean equal outcome. So the idea is that it's not so much to give these people a different starting line 
Well, it's also to make sure everyone finishes in the same place. So maybe, yeah, okay, you could move that disabled person up halfway down the track so everyone finishes at the same time in the same place. That's what equity, that's what their equity means to me is equity of outcome. I just went and I just looked at their definitions and that's what I came back with and the way they described it. But yeah, what you're saying is also another way of. uh, The only reason that, that, that certain people are not, don't finish or have as much as other people is just because of systemic discrimination. Otherwise, we'd all be have the same bank accounts. We'd all live in the same house. It's just because the system, because we all allegedly start off the same way, and it's just the systems or somebody else is to blame. Therefore, that person doesn't achieve, or everyone doesn't achieve the same. It's re- recycled Marxism. It's the, the greedy capitalists are keeping the proletariat down and. So they need to no. wrest the means of production away from the greedy capitalists so they can uh, you know, have a kumbaya no. where everybody has the same thing. But it doesn't take much thought to realize that if you are going to uh, insist that the outcomes are equal, that it's a race to the bottom. Because there are going to be people that nobody can keep up with. And the only, I, I think uh, John Dvorak has referred to Kurt Vonnegut's uh, Harrison Bergeron. I don't know if you're familiar with that novel from a long time ago. Where no. they, they, they were <laughs> performing surgeries to uh, shorten tall people. And if people were fast, they'd have to wear uh, ankle weights and... There's a oh, okay. leveling out of skills across the board in society, so everybody would be equal. And, and of course, the only way for everybody to be equal is to be equal to the lowest possible level of ability, right? Because if you can't oh, yeah. raise that lowest level, then you have to move everyone else down to match that level. And that definitely yeah. seems to yeah. be the way that they they want to move things. Well, that's how they're going to equalize the countries. They can't raise up the poorest countries fast enough, so it's easier to just clip down the successful comp- countries. That's what they're doing when it comes to globalization or equalization across the countries. Way easier to, to, to remove the uh, wealth from the rich ones and just reallocate it. I would feel after they mod- take their cut. Moder- yeah, that's the thing. I would feel moderately better about this scenario if I felt like that was had any that idea idea was uh, you know founded on some because that there, there's a sort of benevolence involved in that idea which I don't think exists for these people. I, I'm more of the opinion that they're, they're going after the wealthy countries because they're the ones who would offer the most resistance to eating bugs and There's not living. enough money in the uh, wealthy. 
They're going after the middle class because that's where the volume is. Well, I, I, I say wealthier nation, uh, which really, I mean, it's the Western nation, basically. Western, and, yeah. and for lack, lack of and European. The, and the wealth is uh, within the middle class. Well, that's been well understood for a long time. If you, you know, there's a lot of economists that have talked about, you know, taxing the rich. Like you could turn all of the, the point, the one percenters, say, or whatever, upside down and shake everything they had. And you're never going to get enough out of them to be able to distribute to make a big difference across the board. Because there really isn't. Compared to the middle class, there's not that big of a concentration of wealth at the top. I mean, no, even though they say that. they own, the ultra, you know, the ultra wealthy can't shake down because they don't have anything. They don't have anything that they you can grab onto. They're not. They're too smart. Right, yeah, and that. Uh, have you heard anything about the Sesta KB and the Sesta K Trust uh, ideas and? The difference no. between having, having your wealth on the public versus the private side. No. Yeah, Jan, Jan Eric kind of introduced me to this a while back, and I, actually, I was on a, a server that my my wife has a friend back in Florida that I met at a couple of our you know parties and whatnot, and she was actually <laughs> interestingly more or less on the same page as we are. It's one of the few people I've met in real life. That's, and But she she belonged to a Discord server that uh, I was on for a while that was devoted to giving people instructions on how to go about setting up a SESTA-KV trust to switch. That's where you want to be. The SESTA-K trust is like you're a surety. You're uh, like collateral for a the U.S. bond or whatever. They, I don't. I think it's worldwide, actually. But the big players, they're a Sestake trust, which puts them in the role of uh, beneficiary of the trust as opposed to whatever it would owner. be. The, the trust. Well, there's there's three components. There's the beneficiary, the owner, like the administrator or something. I can't remember. But somehow, if you the, the position we're in is is more like uh, collateral. And the way they describe it, if you're a debtor, if you're in debt, you're in a uh, subservient type of you know second class relationship to your creditor. And in a court or whatever, you don't have a voice. Like you, you're like mute in the eyes of the law because you're in debt. So yeah, it's not it's not a good place to be. Uh, and and, then, and I think this all has to do with like the, the whole maritime or UCC commercial codes and all this sort of thing. How do you call, how do you spell that? Sest, how do you spell that? Sesticator? What is yeah. that? I think it's I think it's a French for it's the the French spelling C apostrophe E S T maybe E S T E Q U E V I E and it's the same thing Seste K trust which I don't I don't know that that's French but yeah there's a few uh, there's a uh, I don't know there's a few channels and stuff around there, there's a big 
like a 15 part series or something that describes the whole thing that I listened to once upon a time that I might can dig up and post somewhere. But it's very interesting, but it's, you know, I, I've also heard that if, if you don't know what you're doing, find yourself in hot water. Um, you know, you don't want to make assumptions that just because you, uh, you know, file some documents so that they're going to be recognized in the way they're supposed to. I think there's, there's a little bit of finessing that has to be done. Well, if you got any but, links, put them in, man. I'll look at them. Put yeah, them in the fake colleges forums. Don't put them in the discord. Okay. You know, the yeah, that might be a good thread to start and, you know, have some of the, the minds, the think tank start to, to, to go digging up stuff on that and, yeah, they killed the Discord channel about it, of course. Um, but it was on and pretty active for a while, and there were a lot Why of people. Why they kill there. it? Hate speech? Hate for the rich? <laughs> <laughs> I, no, well, it's not even hate. It's like, hey, I just want to figure out how to do this so I can worm my way out from under your thumb. And it's like, no, that's fine. That's hateful that you want to get out from underneath somebody's boot. <laughs> You guys know why suicide is illegal, right? Say that again, uh, Scratchy. God, yeah, I'm sorry. You, you know why suicide is illegal, right? <laughs> yes, because it is it, illegal. That is correct. Do you, do you know why? Do you know why is the question? Maybe you're harming an asset? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Destruction of government property. Yeah, destruction of government property. Yeah, that that's probably yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, there that's funny. There was a a pretty good interview. I think I I was first introduced to this guy. I think it was, was it Dylan Sicaccio or Saccio that wrote that Spirit World book that traces back a lot of the etymology back to the the church, the Catholic bishops and whatnot. Uh, it was a three-person panel, and they were talking a lot about this SDK trust, and that was posted over on the the purple server, or whatever. But I, I can link to that, and it was really it was about two and two hours and change. And they mentioned the Banking Act of 1933 in the U.S. under FDR that pledged all the now they say it pledged all the people as collateral and all of their property and mortgages and sons and daughters. They were pretty specific about it, but I looked at the act on whatever wiki or whatever that where it was posted and it's, a, it's really long and I was skimming through it trying to find those passages because I always like to go to the source, but um, I, I was kind of surprised that it would have been spelled out in such a direct way. So I'm not sure if they were being literal with that, but yeah, according to that well, idea, all the laws <laughs> and regulations are available. They just make them hard to find, but they're all there. And the proof of that is, um, are you uh, familiar with my other website called fakotube.com? Yes. I, I look at it from time to time. Okay, because I just posted Catherine Watt, who is a paralegal in Pennsylvania, who mm -hmm. has dug through mountains of 
acts, rules, regulations from those acts and found all the COVID kill box laws and regulations and whatnot that are making all this possible. They're all there. You just have to find them. And they're very explicit. They tell all the... You said all the COVID and you said a word. All the COVID. It's called the... She calls it the COVID kill box. It's a military term. Because Mm. this whole operation is being run by the military. That's why it's working so well. And it's so worldwide. Because as we know, the United States military is in every country of the world. Explicitly or implicitly. And because it's been taken over by the European elite, whoever you want to call the Illuminati, they are all these all these rules and regulations. It's all legal. Everything they're doing right down to the cop that goes to the hospital when you call the cops and say, hey, the hospital's killing my relative. Can you charge them or at least help me get them out of here? And the cop says, no you're actually interfering with the pandemic, so you have to go. (laughs) So everyone has been conditioned, everyone has been drilled in the last 20 years for this very day, and it's all in rules and regulations that come from acts of Congress that have been enacted over the last 20 years. See, that, that's another fundamental problem that I think we as the, the people, you know, the, the producers, actually, uh, as opposed to the parasites, don't understand about the system we live in is that we, that the whole Constitution, the laws, the Congress, it's all theater. None of that is by any stretch uh, ob- objective or universally applied or you have there's no recourse against this the whole system is i mean if you try to look at it logically and make sense out of it, it's insane it, break. break and roll i need dollar 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 that's what i need well i need dollar 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 that's what i need would you like to support Fakeologist.com and all the content we're creating? We operate on the value-for-value value principle, where you pay whatever you can for whatever value you feel you've received. We accept donations in almost every form, from PayPal to Bitcoin. Please go to Fakeologist.com forward slash donate for your payment options. Thank you for your support. And if I share with you my story, Had nothing. We did a direct chat. It had nothing to do with the uh, with the server, and he still couldn't uh, get through to me. All right. Well, it's Saturday, February eighteenth, twenty twenty three. I'm here with Wild Times and Farce Value, and um, continue Farce. Well, yeah. The thing is that that there's the thing we know of is laws and government, Congress, voting, all the things that people think that sort of keep this system intact as a sort of structure that has some guiding principles or whatnot. It, none of that is true. And even if it was, it's so convoluted and self-contradictory. It makes no sense on any level. 
the way that people think that it does. But if you look at it as a system of uh, smoke and mirrors to allow a predatory class to extract resources from everyone that lives in that particular area, then it makes a lot of sense. But that's the only way it makes sense. As far as looking at it like there's there's laws and a, a just court that you can appeal to that has to be held to the standards of the Constitution and all that sort of thing, even if they did put these laws in place, and I believe what you say, they probably did, but it doesn't matter because they, they make it all up as they go. They change it. They enforce it how they want, when they want, on who they want, and none of it works the way that we're told that it works. I mean, that's been demonstrated to me uh, time and time and again. So, you know, I, I mentioned the idea of anarchy and getting out of the this trap of government and, you know, but we already live in, in so we live in an anarcho-tyranny. Like, there's no rules for the rulers. They don't have to abide by anything. They have no accountability to anybody so they they live in an anarchic system but we have to abide by their whims so uh you know it's not it's not a true anarchy it's just a, a sort of hybrid that uh allows that class the oligarch class to act with impunity against us at all times more or less so yeah i don't know yeah, Vars, I agree completely. You know, where where the odds camp starts is they assume territorial jurisdiction over our bodies. They never offer any evidence, and then you use the evidence to make a conclusion. But they're supposed to offer evidence like, well, the driver's license, the Constitution, my sandwich is evidence that I have jurisdiction because you're here. You know, if I'm in Florida, they can't ticket me a Georgia cop can't ticket me because he doesn't have jurisdiction. But if I'm in Florida, they put me in jail because Florida says so. When I say, well, what evidence of jurisdiction is there? Or what are you using to prove that element of the case? They, I've seen this in court myself. I'll say, well, everybody knows we have jurisdiction. Yeah, it, it sounds like you might be familiar with Mark Stevens. Uh, um, uh, the, code, the code applies because the code applies. That, right. It's all a tautology. And, you know, I, I think he actually, I don't know if you listened to, he went down to, I guess it was in Phoenix or somewhere where the, the district attorney said, well, of course we have jurisdiction because there's people in prison. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Well, that's one way. You're going to tase somebody and put them in a cage. That proves you can do it, I guess. I feel so so much better now. Uh, What is that? Uh, Argument ad baculum. Uh, If you don't like it, talk to the stick. (laughs) You know, I like like, uh, um, credo quia absurdum. I believe it because it's absurd. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that's kind of I'm having like the most trouble with is the the level of absurdity that just seems to be escalating almost daily, and there, there seems to be no end to it. And um, uh, yeah, Terrence McKenna, you know, he, he called this exactly in his uh, novelty theory. 
He said this would happen exactly. It would get so weird. The main conversation topic would be how weird it is. And here, here we are. Well, too bad we can't, can't all be uh, Hunter S. Thompson. Was, uh, he was, uh, I guess, fit for this. It, it, it never got weird enough for me. It was one of his quotes. <laughs> I never heard that. That's great. Yeah. So he'd be thriving. I think Miles Mathis just wrote something about Hunter S. Thompson. But I didn't read it because I don't really know the guy. Uh, yeah, I read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas years ago, and I guess he had some sort of dubious demise, I think, what was it, out in Colorado or something. What, he, had, he had, like, some public office, I think, for a minute, too. Yeah. 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 He's been accused of being involved in snuff films and all kinds of My understanding of his death was that um, his son killed him. Now, Hunter said that he wanted to die. He thought he would make it to 55. He's like, I'll ride it until the wheels come off. And uh, I, I doubt I'll make 55. And from what I remember, his, uh, his goal about end-of-life care, he said, I want to lift the gun the day before I can't. And it's kind of the Hemingway. Uh, yeah, story. so the reason I think that maybe I'm mixing it up with Hemingway, I was told the wrong story, but uh, the reason I remember we, everybody thought his son did it was uh, his son went outside after he died and did a 21-gun salute. Mm. So you okay. you do that you do that so the police can't swab your hands for the one shot. Yeah, my father had one of those. Interestingly so, enough, so I, I think his son. Well, the idea was his son did it at his request. Well, yeah, uh, I don't know. Was he ever prosecuted or anything? Oh no! Oh no! I mean, he, the daughter was out on his last days either way, so it, was, it wasn't like there was some weird thing going on. Everybody knew he was like uh, almost bedridden, from what I remember reading. So it wasn't it wasn't controversial, but it's just like I guess Hunter waited one day too long. Huh? <laughs> yeah, um, it's. Uh... It's interesting because I uh, well, maybe get off this topic a little bit for something a little more positive. Uh, I've, I've kind of been sort of absent from a lot of the psychology and podcasts because I've been uh, immersing myself in psychological texts and uh, all kind of things related to uh, what what drives, I guess, behavior and subconscious uh, behavior, maybe auto, autonomic uh, reflex uh, type of things. And uh, one of the last things I listened to, which was referenced in another book, and I'd never heard of this guy before, his name's Thomas Hanna, no H at the end, H-A-N-N-A. And he talks about people being affected with what he calls, uh, I think, since... Sensory motor amnesia, or it might be somatic. It's all about somatics. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the term. It, it's kind of new to me. But, um, yeah, it's all about the body can suffer trauma. Very, Not necessarily physical, but mental. And then you can get in this uh, reactive 
the it reacts in a particular way and there might be a particular muscle group or something or memory that triggers muscles that respond like you if you, you get near a flame you flinch or if something goes to your your you know eye you're going to blink and so after this traumatic incident these muscles may remain contracted unconsciously for years and so like he cited cases of a a guy with a like abdominal he, he was having like you know internal issues and shortness of breath and stoop posture and just because his abs were all clenched up all the time he was bent over and because he was bent over he was having trouble breathing and then just this like series of uh exercises and having the guy restore his body awareness of the fact that th this was happening he released that tension and he could stand up straight and breathe better and and I said all that to say that uh, this idea of being old, you know, getting, I mean, yeah, we want to be able to lift the gun. But he makes the claim that aging isn't something that happens. It's, it's a result of bad habits. It's something we do, not, not something that is just baked into the cake, per se. And, yeah, I find that uh, very interesting. And he also talks about the etymology of the world word old, which before it's used the way we understand it today, uh, would mean uh, growth and you know uh, strengthening, like a like a tree, like a redwood or something. Like to get old would be to get bigger and stronger and more powerful. And sometimes I wonder if these changes to the language are uh, words are redefined intentionally to set expectations or something down the line. I mean, we've seen all of these changes of our lexicon lately and in the past, how words are redefined to, to suit particular agendas. Um, that's just speculation on my part. And the word age never had anything to do with uh, deterioration or anything like that. It was just regarded a period of time. It was an age. Your your age is 80 years because that's the period of time you've been here. But it doesn't mean you're aging, per se. So um, I thought I'd mention that if anybody wants to... Uh, <laughs> address some particular health issues. He describes a, a huge list of all kind of things, problems doctors give all these different names for and syndromes and symptoms. They're basically throwing stuff at it and seeing what sticks because they don't really know. But he's like, yeah, you can take care of this pretty easily with just retraining your body to, to, to relax and restore its uh, natural muscular balance to its original state or whatever. Oh, that'd be great if we could, uh, if that was true. Yeah. We just have to think our way back to youth. Undo all the things that have clenched up our muscles and made us. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it, well, that's the problem. It's the thinking doesn't quite get you there because a lot of it, uh, it, it's kind of unavailable to the conscious mind so that some of the things that are involved, they call it embodiment where you're, 
you know, have this stuff stored in your body in places that you can't readily access with your cognitive mind, but through like movements and, you know, you have to sort of feel it in your body and let your body tell you what, what needs to be done or communicate. Uh, I'm just now sort of, this is very new to me, but I find it fascinating. And so I'll be kind of following up on this. Um, yeah, look into, uh, I, I talked to my sister-in-law about the book and then she came back and she just went right to YouTube and evidently he's got a bunch of stuff on YouTube and exercises and stuff, which, which aren't very intense, but it's just more about, uh, getting in, getting you, uh, in touch with, you know, what's actually happened and you might not really be conscious of. So, guys, if you get a chance, take a look at the uh, at it's called Atlas Alignment. Um, I've had I'm making an appointment soon to go do it. I have to travel pretty far though. Um, I have two friends that did it, and both of them have um, said that it's a, one of the most profound things that they've uh, done for their body. It's a basically a release. Um, I was called a massage, but it's more more complicated than that. Of uh, one of the um, vertebrae right near your skull, and um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I know how bad my voice sounds, and it is a little shitty to talk. So I'll just say this, and if you guys have um, questions, uh, message me, and I'll make sure I can get you links. But my one buddy who got it done uh, last year. I said, you know, now you're six, eight months out. What do you have to say? He's the only good things, but he's changed a lot. So he doesn't want to like, you know, uh, say that it's done more than it has. But he said he, you know, 100%, he's in his like early 20s, mid 20s. He said he notices how, or, uh, maybe he's actually 26. He noticed how his uh, head sits on his body different than everyone else. He said everyone else's head is sitting like in front of their shoulders where he can tell his is much better aligned. Yeah, so that that's very similar to what this guy talks about. You're kind of describing, and he said one of the things that he'll do when he sees somebody new is just stand them, you know, across from them, maybe against the wall or something, and look at their alignment, their posture, and they might be listing to one side or twisted, or and yeah, and then we we're not aware of that kind of stuff, but I, I can see what your your friend is talking about that, you know. Would make a a big difference if you you figure out how to be conscious of that and, and correct it. I'm sure your chiropractor could see that. Um, apparently, apparently, this one is so profound. You only need it done once. And uh, it said that if, I don't. I can't you know confirm this, but it's a standard idea about this uh, alignment. That if you get it done, your kids don't need it done if they're not born yet. Oh wow! <laughs> if, you're a mother, if you're a mother, supposedly there's that uh, that big of an epigenetic effect. Well, I'll put a link in the audio chat show notes um, in the forums if you don't mind. Take all just for them. That'd be interesting. Will do. Yeah, but uh, it it is. Oh, I mean, not surprising, but uh, just a little bit more confirmation that so much of what we probably considered. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you want to call it settled science, but this this idea that the doctors have the last answer, the allopathic doctors have the last answer on everything is. Uh, I think pretty 
not not very well founded, to say the least. As as has been revealed pretty starkly in the past three years. But just imagine how. I mean, I've known for a long time that uh, you know the. Uh, I don't know if everybody here is familiar with the word iatrogenics. I, I'm I'm sure we probably are by now. But that's uh, that's by doctor. Yeah. So that's been going on for a long time to the tune of, at a conservative estimate, 200,000 people a year in the U.S. And that's just never, never addressed, never talked about. Uh, they admit it themselves. It's not even hidden. But somehow it's just uh, accepted as business as usual or the cost of doing business or whatever you want to call it. And... Uh, doesn't raise an eyebrow for the most part. And I've always kind of wondered about that. Too. Like, well, you, you're going to go to these people that kill 200,000 people a year and you're going to trust them? Absolutely. Like, they know everything and that's that's it. It's the last answer. That's the best they can do. They can't even avoid killing 200,000 people a year. I'd say that's a little problem. But it's like, uh, what is it, Stalin, uh, uh, one one death is a tragedy and a million deaths is a statistic. So I, Yeah, and also reminds me of uh, Madeleine Albright when she was told that hundreds of thousands of children died in the Gulf War. She said it was worth it. Yeah. <laughs> ah, it was, same mind. A hard price to pay. Here's the thing. Let's say that the population hoax is real. There's not as many people here as they say six billion. And let's say that two hundred thousand a year is really like eighteen thousand. Just, just throw some numbers out there, I'm pulling on my butt. But like at eighteen thousand, it's like, hey, we can fix that. But at two hundred thousand, we couldn't, so we just don't don't try. After the break. You're listening to another hour of Fakeologist Radio on Fakeologist.com. Well, you know, what what you just said is kind of similar in a way to a comment I was about to make about that is that at some point these numbers, they get big enough where they sort of don't register. Like, you know, 18,000 people could fit in a lot of college football stadiums and you can kind of picture that 200,000 people might be a little tougher and you hear that and just like it just blows up like we what are we 31 trillion dollars in debt now so they tell us that the U.S. you hear that number and it just goes out of your mind it's well like, I think personally I think with people, with people anything above Dunbar's number we're kind of flapping in the wind, and Dunbar's number is 150, and they use it to design uh, business campuses because if the if the group of people you see every day goes about above 150, you start to kind of disassociate with them. Right, right, yeah, so yeah, that's I was kind of thinking about that at the time too. So that that may have something to do with the the idea that if it gets big enough, then it's just sort of ignored. You know, I don't know. 
I've done as best research as I can do on the population of oaks. It's really difficult to like to get anything that's different from just the the cluster of clusters that's everywhere about numbers. But um, you know, based on like let's let's say that um, instead of six billion people, there's two. Just to, again, number from somewhere to start. Um, the one thing I've kind of seen that um, the, there is a few ways if we want to talk about this topic specifically to like you know go after some research that would. Um, you know, see if we could play out this, this, this idea. But the, my idea is the, the reduction from six to two, all of the big statistics are inflated by that exact amount, basically. So the population as a whole is, uh, you know, inflated and they inflate the, the numbers in general by the same amount. And then to uh, answer the question I was, you know, I created to go after the next uh, level of like detail will be something physical. Like we're told, uh, three, 30,000 people die. In America, on the highways, I think that I want to say that comes out to ninety a day, but I can't be. It feels not right. In any event, like that's something physical that could be, you know, observed because it's physical and not very nebulous, and obviously it's spread out everywhere. But if if there's only if we went and searched, and there's only evidence of ten thousand, well, there's exactly what they're doing. Well, the the automobile numbers. I mean, I don't know. I've, you know, I've driven used cars for a long time, and I've over the years I've had to go to salvage yards to get parts. You know, to get deals on parts. I mean, didn't necessarily have to, but I did. You, know, you can go into a salvage car yard and find hundreds and thousands of really bashed up cars. Hey, I'm, so I've been into cars a lot whole, of I've, accidents. I've been into cars my whole life, and I do trauma care, so I know, I know. Uh, but uh, you know, if if it was. Uh, yeah, and ten thousand sounds low. I agree, but let's say it was, uh, you know, fifty instead of thirty. Would we ever notice? Yeah, I think the numbers seem high, but maybe they're counting all. Yeah, it, yeah, I I agree with you. No, no, but like think How about. Think about the bigger numbers. 30,000 people sounds big on its face, but then you get down to 10, you're like, well, that's not that many. I mean, if there's 330 odd million people in America, you know, 30,000 is, is a nothing. So, you know, that 200,000 or 450,000 people killed per year via medical mistakes, like they say, that might be, um, an inflated statistics where, the population's inflated, everything's inflated, but the things that are hard, hard numbered, like car accidents, they're just real. That could all be, but we wouldn't know. Well, the I just did some quick math. So there's 50 states, you know, 30,000 divided by 50 is 600 divided by 365. You get like 1.6 deaths per day per state in an automobile accident. There you go. That's not that far fetched. I don't think. No, that's that is perfectly reasonable. There's like one person a day killed by trains in uh, uh like <laughs> like in every uh in every fifth state or something. But at the same time, wow. you know, I now just I had a kind of an emotional response to that just now. I thought, wow, like every day there's somebody in this state dying in a car accident. It's really sad. Go spend a night. Go spend a night. At a big ER, or going to spend like a Friday Friday night all night at a big ER. You know, some nights nothing happens. Other nights, you know, five people come in dead. Well, it, uh, what I'm saying is that it just really goes to your comment about that Dunbar number because when I reduced it down like that, I had an emotional response. But when I'm thinking about thirty thousand people a year, 
no response at all. It's just dry. Uh, yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, and, and yeah. so like, if you do the numbers on uh, Denver International Airport, that's the one that I did just uh run some math on population oak stuff and it just none of it seems plausible but then you get down to the, the numbers like where you're thinking about per plane and you're like i can get my head around that um but right. you have, to, you have yeah. to take it that far otherwise it's just all pipe dreams so if, if i can think it's 75 million was the number before uh um the 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 pandemic so per year people move through the airport 75 million 73 uh they say 1800 flights per day on seven runways. Does that sound plausible? Oh, that's yeah, I got to whip out my calculator for that. There's what, 24 hours a day, seven runways. I think we figured it out. Is It's like uh, um, a plane every 10 minutes is either taking off or landing on every yeah. runway, 24 hours a day, yeah. And I mean, that, that, there's some busy hours and stuff, but a plane uh, every... Every 10 minutes taking off or landing on every runway, 24 hours a day, 365 to hit those numbers. Um, I've yeah, that's right. never seen an airport in, in that Toronto, busy. Well, Atlanta's very busy, but in Toronto, I've, I've watched the planes and seven they're only two seven minutes. Runways. They're only, no, we have um, two each way. Exactly. Los, each Angeles way. Has, Los Angeles has two you as well. I know it's. Do we have parallel runways each way? So there's two east-west, and I think there's, I think there's three east-west and two north-south. But they only run two runways at a time, obviously, because depending on which way the wind's blowing. But they're only two minutes apart. The planes. I've watched them. I've sat there for hours looking at the rivets underneath the airplanes and that's just during the day i don't I've, I've never sat there in the middle of the night our airport's closed um supposed to be closed from midnight till 6 a.m well so if, flight. if we had to take out like uh i think they do cargo at night you know but uh if we had to take out two two of the runways or go cut down to four runways that almost doubles it so now we're at a plane every five minutes and it was closed at night yeah that's so right then. though so yeah, yeah in toronto there's a plane on every runway, every two minutes or four, three minutes or ten minutes, without stop for twelve hours straight. That's a question. Yeah, I can see that in a busy airport for sure. Okay, three sixty-five. Well, yeah. Okay, I mean, yeah. I, like, I'm, this is the type of numbers that like, kind of don't make sense. Now, when you, um, you know, this would be, to get seventy-five million, every plane would have to be full. Um, and it like, it just doesn't look plausible when you, when you look at, uh, the other things, like how many people could actually go through the gate and 75 million. I mean, you're talking a city worth of people every day. And if you go, you know, people have sat and taken some time lapse at the, the bigger gates of, uh, the airports, you know, where there should be 50,000 people. It doesn't even seem like 10 sometimes, but you know, I'm, it's hard to trust anything, but really hard data because I, I believe even myself, I'm not, you fall victim to Dunbar's number. It's just like, Oh, this is a huge amount of people. I wonder, has anybody ever taken the time or been any, it has to be true, right? To be assumed. That football stadiums like the one near me has eighty five thousand seats, but I've never counted it. Yeah. And as far as I mentioned, uh, 
He had mentioned uh, football stadiums. I did go to a game at Penn State, and supposedly there was 110,000 people there. It was standing room. You know, people were overflowing the stadium. And it, I've been to, you know, ones that are close to that, but never that big until that point. Um, and I, that's a weird thing to get your head around because a million is only 10 of those. Yeah. But you say only. I can't even imagine 10 of those in a row. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on population hoaxing and how much they do it and why? Yeah, well, I agree. I think the population is probably way lower than they tell us. I've always thought that. Especially the growth, because unless Africa is just, unless they're breeding like rabbits in Africa, I can't think of too many other places where that would be happening. Certainly in the Western world, I, I think the population is collapsing. I know, I, I'm sure it's collapsing. It has been since the bill. I mean, Elon Musk has been saying that for a while. And like, you go back to World War II, supposedly like, you know, 30 odd, 60 odd breeding age couples or people were killed. And now population still continues to go through the roof. It doesn't really make sense. Well, not in the Western world. I've got some Maybe in Africa, here. but not all of Africa is wild. You know, they're very there's some very developed countries in Africa. I don't think they're all running around wild, just having ten or twelve children at a time. If they do, a lot of them don't survive, obviously, because that just wouldn't, yes. you know, you can't, yeah. you can't do that. And I've traveled over Europe and Asia, and everything is kind of like it is where I live in the East Coast. It's like the cities are full or busy. Um, everything else is kind of empty. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just, I just had a thought about what you said about the survival and, you know, for a long time, that's been one of the uh, modern medicine's claims to success. And, you know, one of the reasons we have to give kudos to modern medicine is the decline in infant mortality. But now that I think about it, like, is that is that a real thing? The level of infant mortality historically and all the the good that the allopathic medicine has done to save us from infant mentality, or is that just another public relations scam too? Well, when we try to look backwards, the thing that has been really kicking my butt lately is the fact that there's no John the Fourth or Robert the Fifth or Michael the Eighth or Sam the Fourth. The Fourth or the the only Fourth that I can even find or anyone I know can even find are being born right now. Nobody he has, there's not like a group of fifths. It would be a marker of honor. And, you know, oh, you know, we're having Michael the, the seventh. She's like, oh, well, we're, you know, Robert the twelfth is coming this fall. So we're way ahead of you. But there's nothing past three generations. And, and so how do you interpret that? I, inter I, I interpret it by hanging up, apparently. Can you hear me? Yeah, but I, I'm saying... How, I'm sorry, I, I hung up. I, I hung off the call accidentally. What does it mean to you that the, you know... It, 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 
It seems like this place was repopulated four generations ago. Oh, okay. So our, our timeline that we know of history is uh, ex- extended way beyond what it might actually be. I'm not, I'm no, I don't want to say yes or not because I kind of don't understand what you mean. I had to well, we, uh, you know, we, we, we're told that there's, you know, 5,000, 6,000 B.C., Oh yeah, uh, yeah, Greeks or whatever, which is you know several thousand years back, way further than four or five generations, of course. So you're you're thinking that it's possible that our our actual timeline might be much shorter. I, it appears that way. You know, everybody that I speak to about this, um, you know, upper middle class people like me or middle class, whatever I am. We all have the same exact experience. Our parents came through for unknown reasons, more or less. Our great-grandparents came through, sorry, on Ellis Island. We have birth records and, and records that go back to a crest over in somewhere in Europe. Some of us, you know, my, my crest leads to Ireland, even though I am more blood Italian because of just how the breeding happened. Um, I Yeah, death records and all that lead to a crest in an area in the 1400s. The death records all say consumption, uh, like after, like, uh, you know, going backwards. Um, it's like 1870. It's all consumption after that. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. There's no. There's like you can't even look up on the internet. Last time I know somebody tried to do it and find somebody in their 30s that is a fourth at all. Uh, well, I had a friend from high school that was a third. And okay. He, you know, See that? He, like, uh, he's. Me. If that didn't he's exist. my age, so he's he could be a grandfather at this stage, although he didn't have I don't think he ever had any children of his own his wife if one of those children kids. when they got married, but yeah, he could there could be as much as a, a five just from the numbers I know of personally. Oh, it, it sounds like he could have been a six. And like, you know, if that if I never ran into that, having this conversation, it was getting like so weird each time. Like it would almost felt like now that you said that, like, all right, at least somebody has heard of it somehow, because it was it, it was getting a little too weird. Never even hearing about it. Um, and and that, oddly enough, this gentleman has got a very unusual name: O T H A L Othal. He's the only person I've ever met named Othal. But his grandfather and his father were also named Othal. That sounds like a uh, a last name. Yeah, uh, but anyway, the point being is that those three people that I – and I met all of them personally. I met his grandfather and his father, all three Othels. But that's not really that far back, you know. Oh, yeah, it's not. It's not, and that's like – that's what I want to kind of ask you guys. Doesn't that seem weird? And, you know, when I bring it up to people who are um, normies – they would say things like, uh, oh, well, you know, it, that falls out of fashion because, uh, you know, people don't want to be named after their grandfather. And I look them in the eye and most of them are like, well, yeah, I guess it wouldn't have fallen out of fashion until just now. And like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That seems, it seems really, really odd that like, I don't know 10 of them. I mean, I know, I know through my practice and I know thousands of people, you know, I know well, well, I know Dunbar's number. Um, my, I have a pretty big family. I've asked around. Nobody knows a fifth at all. Yeah, I, uh, that, that is interesting, but I don't, yeah, I, I don't, haven't given too much thought about naming conventions either. So how, how people, 
operate. And I mean, so my dad was a junior. My dad was a junior. My uncle had a kid that he named Junior, and I was going to be whatever it is, the third or the first, but my mother didn't want the way they were talking about passing down the name. Like, no, you're not doing that. So I never really thought about it either, but I knew enough kids that were juniors where, I don't know, to me, this is, it's like a huge gaping hole in what, um you know, should be different. You know, I'm not saying that it should be rampant, but I would think we'd all know one. Well, I know that uh, I, my family history, history is kind of interesting. My grandfather, uh, you know, my, he had all of his children had a really rough childhood. He was a rough and tumble kind of alcoholic brawler guy, oil field roustabout hand. And, uh, you know, I knew him. My, my father did, did not like him at all. He, he didn't go to his funeral. And uh, he just had it left really hard. Hard scrabble life, uh, poverty, whatnot, and, and but the odd thing was, I, I think he was adopted, but he his roots were on the East Coast. Like he ended up in West Texas and Oklahoma, working in oil fields. Um, but he was from this blue blooded family in like an Ivy League school, and he had the opportunity to go to Harvard or Princeton or something on a football scholarship. He was like a all-star quarterback from the local high school. And at some point he dropped off the radar for years and then kind of reappeared down in West Texas, working in the oil fields. And my aunt who is now in close to 90, went back up to the East coast to try to find out, you know, what had happened and people that knew him and stuff. And and so, like, the family tree on, on my father's side of the family doesn't go back too far. <laughs> and you're going to love this, Wild Times, especially you. I understand that I had some great-grandfather with my surname that was a doctor in the Civil War that may have been attending to Southern troops that crossed enemy lines by wearing a dress and pretending to be a woman. <laughs> hey, ain't that funny. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Because of the obvious threat to untold numbers of citizens, and because of the crisis which is even now developing, this radio station will remain on the air day and night. Fakeologist Radio at fakeologist.com. But in any event, if that's true about the Civil War doctor and all that <laughs> story that's in, in some history book somewhere, uh, that would kind of add up with, uh, well, we got this doctor from the Civil War that he had a son and, and another son, and that son ended up on the East Coast in the Ivy League uh, circumstances. That could kind of work. But then my grandfather just totally, like, what the hell happened there, you know? And none of us know. And as far as we can go back, it's only a couple of generations. And I think most, I would say most Americans are in similar circumstances. I don't know too many people that can trace their bloodline back more than a couple of generations. I mean, what I have is the most like, uh, it, it equals the most I've ever seen from other people. Um, and I'm 40 ish and, um, guys my age or older, you know, that's like they, when their parents have died, they've seen the same things that, uh, my grandparents left behind. And yeah, a couple of generations of like decent records. And then after that, it's just like a book of deaths, a crest, 
and like a, a dot on a map. Um, and you know, I, uh, I've never been able, I should probably go do since we're, it's doable. I know we have in Sicily, um, my, my great grandmother's name was Filiberte. And I know there's a, her sister's daughters and sons still live there. So why, um, you know, and our sister's way, I'm sure very love passed for a long, long time, but I know people that have gone and visited them and that family. So they're still there. I'd, I'd love to see, or, you know, maybe I can now, but why did my great, great grandmother leave and they did not? Their sisters did not. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting question too. You know, I mean, but, uh, I, I don't know if you – and the first thing that popped into my mind uh, when you said that was that you know, a pretty good movie uh, a while back. With, uh, was it Brad Pitt, somebody – A River Runs Through It, Robert Redford, I think. It's going back – that's probably in the I, 90s. I maybe fell asleep in that movie. That was the only movie I fell asleep. <laughs> that was, that was well, horrible. it wasn't really – it wasn't really fast-moving, but what I was uh, – Pointing to in that movie, it's, it's these two brothers. I think their father's a pastor or something. Anyway, they fly fishing. They just they they grow. Yeah, they grow up like completely different, but they're raised in the same circumstances, and they're almost like black and white in terms of personality. So that like I was just pointing to the idea that yeah, why is the one daughter going to take off for America or whatever, and everybody else stays behind? What what is the the motivation for that when? But you know, I guess people can grow up in the same family and be completely different types of people with different. Sure. When I when I pointed out to like people that it just that narrative doesn't make sense, you know, certain types of personalities are really into trying to justify it and explain it to me. When I'm like, I haven't. That's I'm, I'd love to get an answer, but um, you know, so he said, "Well, the war. Oh, that was right. The war. See, that explains it all. Why? Well, it doesn't explain why her sister's state then." Well, that's also the problem with the whole virus narrative, right? You have a a family and two people get it and three people don't. And it's highly contagious and deadly, but except right there with people living under the same roof. Yeah, I mean, the problem with the virus, the problem with the virus narrative is virologists can't prove contagion. That's the problem. And we have somebody who knows all about that on the line. Graphene's here. Um, contagion is a contagion is a myth. Yeah, contagion is a big elephant in the room. From what I was just describing, it should be obvious, and I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard a cogent explanation for why that could happen. So when the claim is we're all going to die. In the testing, I believe there's a conjoined twin where they share the same bloodstream. One of them got chicken pox, and one of them did not. Right. So that's what I'm talking about. Those are the things that would make thinking people say, wait a minute, this whole contagion thing sounds bogus. If you can have conjoined twins and one dumb doesn't catch it, you're going to oh, tell me I, it's highly contagious? How is that possible? I, I believe in most of what terrain theory reports, um, you know, there's still holes in, in that that aren't fully explained. Like, I don't think STDs are properly explained very easily because, but, but they could be. But I believe in, um, electromagnetic transference of a cleansing reaction, essentially. You know, if you, women's menstrual cycles link, uh, sync up like a metronome, if they spend enough time together. And if you live with somebody and their their body is self initiated to get rid of something that it you know it needs to do, uh, spending enough time close to them could cause your body to initiate the same thing early. 
Right. And that, that makes a lot more sense to me. And then, and the third person in the household doesn't really need it. So the body doesn't start it at all. Exactly. Yeah, it's really, uh, there's so many layers to be uh, peeled back. The other day we were, we were talking yeah. about something and I said, it's my life's mission to jump out of all the boxes. I'm like outside of every box. I don't want to be in any box anymore. But isn't that what's so impressive about all the different scans, the heliocentrism, virology? They're, they're just good enough to be um, plausible, you know, under certain circumstances. Um, yet they're all wrong and they all link together somehow. Yeah, and that, I mean, there, there, there's probably some explanatory power for the population hoax. I mean, I, I can see a couple of benefits to them right off the bat of just alarmism. There's no, there's, there's, there's no, there's no downside. Um, you know, hurting people into cities. Uh, and, that, and, of course, it's like the mask. There's your visual evidence of overpopulation. Go look at New York City. Jammed. Tipped, you know, <laughs> tip went stem to stern, top to bottom, people everywhere. Of course, we're overpopulated. Just look at New York City. And you know, that's the thing that I've realized about the population. There's just no downside for them. You know, it's only upside um, on the population hoax because every, like you said, alarmism, everything can be, um, you know, obfuscated even more. And if there's not people there to like be the people they say, uh, you know, if no one notices, there's just no downside for it. Yeah, um, and that, and of course, it feeds into all the climate change narrative and everything too. You know, uh, that's all tied together. I think in a Pretty obvious way to me, overpopulation and climate change. Sure, and of course, that's what's weird about Elon Musk going on podcasts and talking about how we're about to hit a population collapse. Well, well, that that could be maybe some kind of poisoning the well tactic. Elon Musk is a white supremacist Nazi, and uh, sure, saying crazy things, and that's just another crazy thing that he's saying. So you can but dismiss when he, it. When he says it, though, he goes through data that kind of makes it undeniable, like the metrics of tracking um, uh, adult diapers versus kid diapers. He's like, that's a big metric, and Japan crossed it a while ago, and that you know indicates an aging population without replacement. And he's right, um, you know, on its face, but like he doesn't you know, sound like a quack, and nobody rebuts him. So it's just a well, you know, but that we're. What I've noticed over the past three years is the disparity b between what media reports about scientific data, even especially even coming from the CDC, and the media will make a claim, and then you go to the CDC website and see what they have to say about it, and it's completely the opposite of what the media has to say about it. So this idea of data, you know, data being king or whatever, maybe if if you pay attention to it and you can trust it, but for the most part, it's just, you know, people are, I think are just going to listen to what the, the soundbite is. And if the soundbite is uh, reframed it, misinterpreted it, or just outright lied about it, that's the impression that people are going to live with. 
Um, completely. And, you know, garbage in, garbage out. You get shitty data, you get bad results of interpreting it. Um, but, you know, the, this, the last three years, I think you're dead on. And what they really, what I've seen them do is they've completely, uh, completely, well, it was already on the way out, but they've ruined people's discernment. You know, there's so many answers coming from so many directions. They're, they all seem wrong. They, people are like throwing their hands up in the air, just, you know, they'll believe the next soundbite. And it was like, uh, Late, late last year, I got a Twitter account. I've never used it, but I, I got it so I could do an advanced search to find out what I remember. And I found that it was like, I think it was early 2021. The CDC and the WHO were like throwing their hands up in their, their air, tweeting back and forth to each other, exasperated over the word airborne about what it meant. Like they're confused. Like epidemiology, <laughs> epidemiology doesn't exist. Oh, you know, while we're here, and, and this is a real shot in the dark, a long time ago, it's been at least two or three years, somebody on the Fakeologist server had posted a link to an article talking about a DNA conference, I think it was in L.A. or San Diego, where it had devolved into screaming matches amongst the DNA scientists because they couldn't get on the same page about whatever the G, D, C, GCT or base pair or whatever it is. You know, and, but I just thought it was very interesting that even among this so-called community of experts, they're disagreeing to the point where they're screaming at each other about it. And then, you know, you're like, okay, the, the, the standard of, of proof and evidence here, there, there's something missing when, you know, we we can't get on the same page. That's something that's accepted so readily as as being uh, whatever, uh, having been proved beyond you know the point where we can just accept it all. And uh, I'd love to be able to find that article again. If anybody remembers, please repost it. No, I mean, I've never heard of that. I'll see if I can find it. But DNA is a funny one. Like, you know, a lot of the auto hooksers are like, oh, it just doesn't exist. Well, you know, I, I, anecdotal is anecdotal, but enough of it is something worth considering. And I don't know how many people you guys happen to know that have done 23andMe style things, but I know a few. And a few people have found, you know, what was then, you know, later corroborated through all sorts of records. And um, they find the, like their cousins, they didn't know a family they didn't know because their father was having kids and, you know, they're able to confirm it. And then, you know, a lot of times, like, they look exactly like each other. And so, I don't know, there's been so much of that. Well, I've seen what you're describing with my own eyes. My, yeah, my so wife did it, and, and she she came up with, with uh, she had a cousin who had a, a child from a woman long ago, 25 years ago, that he wasn't aware existed, and they ended up connecting. And the, now, I still don't believe it. I think it's done through databases and records and 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 if you follow SMJ and his you know, thinking about it is it, all the DNA stuff comes out of radio crystallography. And when you go look at radio crystallography, it's Royal Society stuff that has all the, the same hoaxy players, the, the Hungarian Martians and all that. And uh, so I, I kind of question the provenance of it. Um, maybe they've had some improvements. and But uh, a lot of times when historically the foundations are so sketchy, then I wonder if Anything built on top of that, like NASA, you know, like 
But you, anything that's built on the foundations of NASA is probably going to be hoaxy in some way. You know, before before this last couple of years, I would uh, I would have kind of rolled my eyes at what you said, not not in front of you or not like uh, at least internally. <laughs> I, I remember, like, you know, oh, it can't be just databases, but um, it was like right towards the end of uh, like midway through two two thousand twenty two. I was like, you know, after twenty and twenty one, I will consider anything. And a bunch of my friends did the same thing, and they've all gone back a little bit normie or a full normie. Uh, yeah. I'll, that radio philosophy and um and databases sure why not makes perfect sense compared uh, to the, the, what and the test the test I would like to see for DNA that would convince me and I, I'm not sure how to go about doing it would be blind samples where you know you have people that take DNA samples and you know who they are and you send them in to the DNA uh, analysis labs. And they have no information about where the samples came from at all. Sure, sure. that would be easy. That and then easy. they come back and then they say, well, this belongs to this and this belongs to that. I'd be, okay, they have something now. But you have to give them a ton of information when you submit your sample. So that kind of puts them in a little bit of a, you know, I mean, it, it narrows it down for them at the very least. Yeah, no, that, that's one of the questions that I wouldn't have an answer to. What type of information do they do they ask for? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, as far as I understand, I don't know that you can do them blind. Maybe you can. Now, I, but I also have read reports too about uh, people coming back with inaccurate reports. That's that sure. information sure. is out there in the public domain. I mean, so, if the things are as sensitive as they are, like you know going after what they say they're going after contamination in the lab would have to be a, a major concern and easy, easily to happen, you know, compared to not. And, you know, just, uh, what caveat emptor, whatever I, I am sensitive to the argument from incredulity. And I, I don't want to be that person that argues against something cause I don't understand it. And I know it, it might come off that way when I'm, sort of dismissing something it might seem like out of hand but, but i guess it's more about just asking questions uh i mean it, it's which, not fair to be incredulous about people who lie about everything <laughs> that's true ab posted a great quote from richard feynman on the blog the other day loved although i don't know that i'm a fan of richard feynman but i'm not uh, but hey everybody has their moment uh, i'd rather have questions I'd rather have yeah. questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned. Yeah, that was a good one. I mean, so, yeah, they do just yeah, play with us all the time, don't they? The guy, I forget the guy's name, like Soupy or whatever, that uh, has this quote. I think he, the rest of his stuff is terrible, but this quote is gold. Is your democracy is uh, government for the people, of the people, and by the people, but the people are retarded. <laughs> yeah, that's a corollary to Winston Churchill's, I think. My favorite quote of his, I think it says, is if you're going through hell, keep going. Well, you know, but that whole, this whole idea of this whole government thing, I mean, it's that, you know, you comparing different types of governments, but you have to really look at the foundations and just examine them for internal logic and consistency and lack of self-contradiction 
contradiction and uh, standardized definitions of terms and all these sort of things that might be in, in, in a contract or what the way that we operate in day-to-day life. And, and none of that stuff exists within government. And so, I mean, why do we need a Supreme Court to interpret the Constitution and do you know where they got that power? They, do you know where they got that power? Well, they don't. It's not anywhere no, in the Constitution. During so Marbury versus Madison, right? And, and so that—that's what I'm saying. That none of this stuff—it's it, it, really meaningless, ultimately. Michael Gunderick has passed away. He he went over all of this stuff in depth in his constitutional lectures. His website, I don't know if it's still up, it was constitutionpreservation.org. And he said one of the first... I kind of lose a little patience with the people that say, well, all we need to do, all we need to do is return to the Constitution and start using the way it was intended. Well, it didn't work the first time, obviously. Why do we have to return to it? We got to get something new because that failed utterly. So I, why I don't think we're that far off. <laughs> I don't think we're that far off currently of where we could be, which is all we have to do is eliminate property tax and the income or the labor tax, and we're a lot closer to a free people than we are now. I think. But the big question about government that I can't—I used to be more into libertarian anarchism side, and I'm not—you know—I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, against that at all. I hate this monster, uh, monster of criminals. Um, but here's the question I can't get even the highest level libertarians and anarchist guys to, to deal with without government is how do we deal with property disputes? And I have a cabin. I have a, I have a river. The, the river is, runs by hydro. Everything's great. Five miles up, somebody dams the river on their property. And I, now my life is ruined. I shoot him. His son shoots me. Now we have a blood feud. I mean, how do you deal okay. with these problems? Yeah, I, I understand that that's a concern, and I won't dismiss it and question its validity. But at the same time, you're talking about something theoretical that may no, it's not theoretical at all. It's not theoretical no, at all. It, well, you're not you're not referring to a specific case right now. I, I, I can. I can. I can. Hi, this is Ron Sitting. Hi, Larkin. Cerulean. This is El Sushi, the You're listening to Fakeologist Radio at fakeologist.com. Okay, I'm, I'm sure there are specific cases that are oh, exactly the same. But what right now, right now, we're in a situation where there's still people walking around with masks. There's still insta- uh, venues and whatnot that require vaccination. They're forcing vaccinations. Okay. You're getting probably 90% of your income stolen from you across the board. Kids are being uh, deprived of the opportunity to learn how to think critically. They're being ma- I mean, the, the whole host of things that are you know, people in prison for having a plant in their pocket that are going on now under government. And we're going to say, well, if we didn't have it, what would happen in case of this industry where somebody damned a rip? Let's put out the fire and then start thinking about, okay, well, what color do we want to paint the behind? Yeah, no, I, I, I get that, but like this, this is what the normies are just going to ask you before they even think about not voting or doing anything different. You know, take it to yeah, the take I, it to the street. I get it. I get it. I get it. And if you don't have an answer at all. And the answer is, you know, just incredulousness about change. 
they they each shut down. So like here's a realistic, um, you know, more realistic, non-extremist, not 1800s viewpoint. I flipped houses with a development team for about three years. And if you're buying any land at all that's not developed, so there's no houses, no nothing, you might deal with three, three different problems like that, but the adjoining properties. I mean, water runoff, if you want to build, let's say, five, a five-spot townhome or like two duplexes, and the, the land could be great, except for on the east side, this their other property is graded, and in a certain way, it's just turning this really, really expensive land, it could be, into an unusable swamp, and that's what it is. Now, if they regraded their property, it would all change, but then it's just the other side's dealing with it. These type of disputes are common all over the place. You know, the system now is just, and the land is pretty well developed. Um, you know, property is is uh, pretty well priced as far as like consistent across um, different types. So uh, you just don't buy it if you don't like it. You know, um, the theoretical problems exist. You know, when you try to look for them, and if there's no if there's no solution. Except for government, I mean that's what people would say, and I'm, I, I, I'm with you. If I could do find a lever to pull to, get, you know, solve the the little problems or the big problems, and then go on to the pain, sure. But like, I, you know, I can't even find a paintbrush. And we get back to that whole problem when you say government, what people think when you say government, and then what it actually is, and and those are two very different things. Nobody can no, define no. politics. Nobody, even all my friends in D.C., they can't even define the word politics. Because, like, it, you know, most people, the government, you know, the arbiter of last resort, whatever, the settler of the court, uh, the final say on a dispute, whatever. Um, yeah, that's all well and good. And I, th- well, in the way I understand history, if any of it should be believed that before, you know, the Leviathan state, you know, we had these common law courts where there were, social customs and traditions for geographical areas that were kind of observed and understood. And there might be a a council of elders or something similar to that, where people would go and kind of abide by these decisions in this informal way. I'm going to mention uh, that one podcast with the interview with the Sesta KV, they were talking about the overtaking of these sort of traditional uh, norms for land transfer by the you know banking and corporatocracy or whatever and they would say that uh traditionally in certain places the the transfer of land ownership would be done maybe in a town square in front of a group of witnesses and uh, the the owner would bring maybe a stone or a rock or some piece of thing and a branch of a tree that was taken from the land that was a physical representation and he would hand it to the new owner in front of witnesses and that symbolized that the deal had been consummated. But they went on to say that now things are in in a space where you have deeds and trusts and mortgages and it's all paper and if your I's aren't dotted and T's aren't crossed properly, then you end up losing your property to the bank and it's a, a disinterested party that has no consideration in the land uh either way and they may end up with it because of the the new system so you know when i hear that i'm like yeah the the old system sounds better (laughs) yeah i mean people people always think the bank has uh well they loaned you the money but if you've ever studied the money mechanics of how they actually get mortgages 
um, they take the mortgage after it's the loan or whatever, after the paper, it's papered. They take it to the OCC, the Office of Comptroller and Currency. They get the money and they never have to pay it back. Well, the way I understand it, the, the, when you sign the mortgage, that's when the money comes into existence. So, it was never there. Is, yeah, sure. But what I'm saying is very specifically is, all right, they, they, the bank has that mortgage signed. You go home. How do they actually get the uh, credit or the money, the, the numbers in the account? They could then, you know, theoretically, you could go to that bank. You could withdraw that in cash. You know, do they, do they make a phone call? Do they do what? Specifically, they go to the OCC. And the OCC give sends the money to the bank's account, so they can you know then send it to the um, you know settle the settlement company. Um, but it comes from the OCC, and that's the thing: the bank does not have to pay back the, the loan to or the money to the OCC. It gets generated right to them, and that's why they don't have any consideration because they don't have any chance of loss because they didn't make it. They just they just were given it. And this is not a secret. No, no, that's just my, the mechanics of money. Yeah. And, you know, that – now, if you and I were to go try to do that and say, let's start a bank and let's lend people money and, you know, they'll get a new car, we'll just make it up on the spot. Give them a check. I'm sure people that would work great. They call us counterfeiters and criminals and all this sort of thing, but that we live where that is uh, de rigueur for the system. And it's um, never a question. I think, we, I think we, you, got, you got a plan. Let's do it. <laughs> wild times bank <laughs> um, let's call it uh, let's call it a wild horse bank <laughs> yeah I mean and that's the whole whole point of this system is that double standard r- rules for thee and not for me and uh, yeah, sure, that's, I, that's I, basically I, I, the idea behind government and that's the problem I have with it I, I guess I wouldn't have a problem. And when I think of government and what separates it from a, a business based on consensual relationships, the, the difference is the force element. And that's my problem with it. it you know, I'm completely, completely, you know, and that's what I was saying is property tax means we can't have property. Labor taxes mean we don't have labor. Those are two big problems. I mean, if, if we were able to own property and have full control of our labor, I mean, yeah, we're still getting hit with some unconstitutional excise taxes, sales taxes, probably bogus. But I mean, those are huge, huge deals that like if we focused on, we could do something. And, you know, people think the system is untoppable. It's not hard to topple if we just wanted to. If everybody in the U.S. decided one year to sign paper 1040s and send them in and make one typo, the IRS would be screwed forever. Yeah, I mean, it's there's so many simple things. I, I absolutely doesn't listen to the quash anymore, but I still listen to that guy. And uh, he, you know, he's got a, a a bunch of sort of simple fixes that could be implemented within the current system that would change things dramatically. But and you, can you think of you know, having people even look at this stuff? I mean, I I don't yeah, really course, do it too much course. anymore. But I would. Did, which one? Uh, what's, one of, what's one of their fixes? Uh, he, he would say, uh, well, uh, one of the things he suggested was every law sunsetting within two years. Uh, you know, between say election years or whatever, that they would have to be re 
re-voted on and, and approved to stay in existence. He recommends having like uh, maybe, I don't know, 700 Supreme Court justices and and a 75% quorum to uh, rule. That's that, that, that perfect. That makes great sense. Um, it's like I said, I mentioned Michael Badnerick before. He said the first uh, amendment to the Constitution, Congress shall make no law. He said there should just be a period right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's and uh jury nullification that's another big one and then now i actually met uh this guy julian hecklin i think is his name i think he like fled to israel and he might even be jewish i'm not sure but he was doing a lot of jury nullification advocacy and he was getting arrested on a regular basis and he'd you know go to the courthouse steps and hand out yeah, nullification yep, yep. pamphlets, and they, man, they shut that stuff down. Oh, they, they do. I, I used to do court watching, and you'll love this one. I used to do court watching with friends that, um, you know, I, I I got into it because I was curious, and most people get into it because they're jammed up. But um, one of the guys in, in the group, he's former Air Force. He thought it was a good idea in Maryland to just ride his motorcycle without a helmet, get pulled over, and try to fight it. And um, when he we were at the law library trying to um, you know develop strategies, this and that, and I wasn't able to go that day. But um, I you know talked to friends that did. And well, his name was Ted. When Ted went to talk to the judge, I think they did this in chambers or right at the the bench. He's like, you know, we well, hear the uh, Maryland um, pattern jury instructions. I want to read them. These two lines from you know the maryland instructions for the jury the judge said you can't read them because those are legal gobbledygook <laughs> that's the technical term yeah yeah for the maryland jury instructions <laughs> it's a, it's a, just go to the g in black's law, law dictionary when the when the judges called the jury and the actual jury instructions gobbledygook and make up their own i mean you gotta like you gotta roll your eyes about what where are we what is what is this place exactly and he also makes a point too that the, the civil war uh you know well that's been so mischaracterized now and i i remember from the third grade history classes i i I remember us chanting, but I don't know if it was a chant per se. It might be false memory, but Abe Lincoln freed the slaves was kind of the, the thing that they wanted us to think. And in reality, the Civil War, well, which is also a misnomer, but this Confederacy wanted to work more. That, 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 that was what it was about. Is that what is that misnomer? War of Northern Aggression? Well, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, Civil War, whatever. It, it basically the the Confederacy wanted to leave the Union. That was the story, and it's in the inaugural address and Lincoln. And, I mean, his speeches about he had no interest in freeing the slaves. It's all in, in public record, and uh, it was about keeping the Union together. And, and but if you have a war to force the Confederacy back into the Union. You don't have a consensual relationship anymore. There, there's no constitutionality or anything that's applicable. There's no, there's no unions. What a union, huh? Stay here or you die. Great union. Yeah, that kind of union, which is uh, essentially martial law. And then if you look into the, the history after the Civil War about how they arrested 
legislatures in certain states and installed northern people to vote a particular way. I mean, the whole, yeah, the actual historical narrative is is so different than what we're told, which, you know, obviously the way everything is. So, yeah, that's why that, you know, when people say, well, we have to have government, well, what are you talking about, really? Because the thing you think of as government is way, way different than what's actually going on. So, you know, maybe if if the government function the way it's supposed, <laughs> they say it's supposed to on paper, yeah, maybe there might be a chance that it, it could do do something to be beneficial in the aggregate, but it's just not how it works. I mean, in reality, their, their only mandate through delegated authority was to like fix the roads and protect individual rights. And, you know, that's the two, that's the two things they can't do or don't do. But they're, they're the first people to violate your rights. They're the only, so, people, they're the only people that can. And and then you have the issue of accountability. Well, the government is overstepping. So, well, who's going to be the arbiter of whether they're overstepping? Well, that'll be the, the government. The government investigated the government and found that the government was doing nothing wrong. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. And I, I've made that example you know, before. The, you know, you're in the midst of a very contentious divorce and you're trying to yeah, settle the property dispute and division of assets or whatever, and you go into court and your wife's mother is the judge. Well, how's that going to pan out? Awesome. I mean, people can see that right away, but then when you point to the fact that that's how it works, that the government is <laughs> it's essentially the mother-in-law deciding how things are going to be divvied up, uh, well, so, so here, here's a good one. I mentioned it earlier. I'll just spell it out. So politics, a college professor of mine who was uh, very, he was wealthy. And he, we asked him, why are you even teaching? He said, you can't play golf seven days a week. Um, and he was, he was a businessman. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. Right? So um, he, uh, he did this to us. And it said, I found two people ever that have come close just off the top of their head with a good definition. So he said to us, we had laptops. It was a uh, adult, you know, night school. He said, what is the definition of politics? A working, useful definition. And 30 of us, for 30 minutes altogether, we couldn't come up with anything useful. Everything we looked up was obviously just bullshit. So, um, yeah, he said to us that, you know, that's, that's part of the scam is that they, they conflate politics with government. And so everybody thinks they're the same thing when in reality they're not. And so he said, politics... Is everything going on under the table? Okay, right. So we could have, we really could, we could have government without politics. People don't even know the difference. But then what What would, you know, separate government from a uh, contractual mediator, a mediator, say, and, and then, I mean, I know that like cell phone contracts, when you get one, I, I, I remember from some that I've seen in the past, they, you agree to mediation in case of sure, dispute. Sure. And you're going to have a third party mediator that's not going to be government. And then and these places exist where people will go. Yep. I so they have trust as a mediator and they abide by the decision voluntarily. 
Yep. Um, so, the, you know, every time when I look at the, di- the difference between government is they're, they're going to be funded through force. That's that's the source well, of their that's, funding. That's the problem, right, is they have an incentive. They have the incentives wrong. And that's the problem with politics is there's stuff going on under the table. If there was no incentive to, to be a bad actor, if they didn't get paid for it, they might not do it. But because there's an incentive to protect, the money's not on top of the table, the influence isn't on top of the table, you know, government should be on top of the table when we see it all, but most of the actual wink-wink, nudge-nudge, it all goes on under the table, and, you know, it can sound hard to get your head around, but families have politics, right? Politics isn't, you know, what you just talk about, you hash out, you handshake, that's not politics. Um, Mm. do Do you know what they call lobbying in Japan? (laughs) <laughs> no. They call it bribery. Okay. Well. In Japan, bribery is perfectly legal, and the way it works is typically uh, the person who has the biggest bribe attached to the bid wins the contract. And when you think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense because they're basically just lowering the price through the bribe. I mean, and think about it, though, when we talk about representation and you know, you're going to have almost have to have a lobbyist because the I, I think the numbers are somewhat. I might have my zero in the wrong place, but I think each congressional representative represents. It's either 75,000 or 750,000 people. I have to divide it up, but it's an insane number to think about having an agent that's going to represent you. And you're one of, we'll pick the smaller number, say 75,000 people. Well, what kind of res- representation is that? You know, I'm, I'm a musician, and for a long time, my, my dream was to be a rock star. So I'm going to go get an agent, and he's going to have 75,000 other acts that he's representing. I'm like, hey, man, how come, uh, how come our demo isn't getting into the hands of the label? It's like, well, I got 74,999 other acts I'm representing. Be a break. But you said why we have to have lobbyists, but why do the lobbyists have to pay them? You know, I have a buddy whose wife is a lobbyist, and he, he leads my direction with uh, government and politics and stuff. And he said to me, well, what's wrong with lobbying? I mean, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, they could give them the information with no money. And, you know, if, if the actor of the government, the person making the vote, if they were incentivized only by what they could do for the people, they might do it. It's the second pandemic, lads. You're listening to another hour of Fakeologist Radio on Fakeologist.com. And all of that boils down to the accountability problem, too, <laughs> because they're going to get paid no matter what they do, um, because they're going to take it. That's it. He passed away. He used to run a, uh, uh, like do a radio show here, and uh, he said, why do uh, politicians spend millions of dollars for a job that pays 300000 Yeah. I mean, well, there's so... It, oh, that's that his point. His point was there's other compensation we don't see. That's kind of why I'm sort of reaching the 
the point where I'm like, okay, it's, it's kind of like every man for himself here. Like, what am I going to do to save myself, my family, try to bolster my situation? I mean, I'm, I'm beyond the point where like, I'm not going to convince anybody of anything. This whole idea that there's going to be any, I mean, I do think a, a lot more people are starting to notice the cracks in the facade, which is a good thing, but it's, it's a slow, slow process to have people start to question the fundamentals of the system. And, you know, I've had... Their, their, unconscious, their unconscious safety needs override their desire for independence and freedom and, and uh, to uh, trust themselves. The, the unconscious safety of I need to just trust the herd, be with the herd, is more um, incentive. It's more, more of an incentive than to try to do something new because they're not under enough pain yet. And yeah, and so, as I said before, I've been kind of immersing myself in, in the study of psychology to try to really get a handle on how, you know, these subconscious motivations work on people. Because what I've noticed is that, you know, so much of this stuff that we're talking about, it's not, it's not really hidden. It's, it's fairly accessible if you're the least bit curious, but people aren't. They're just not. Well, it just makes, idea makes it worse. If they hit it, it would be like, ooh, I found something. But the fact that it's so in your face, people have to run away from it, and they do. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe that's it too, you know? Or it's just too, it's too much to uh, process. Uh, yeah, yeah. There was uh, Hoover, I think you said, uh, you know, the average man is faced with such a large monolith conspiracy that it's, you know, it's, they can't even entertain the idea that it would exist. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of really, really curious about how that, how that works on the psyche. And, and it's just this sort of nonstop, uh, well, trauma induced mind control. It's oh, yeah. Every day. I mean, and I do feel, it, and I don't pay that much attention to, mainstream media but i you know i i absorb it through osmosis and i don't know if you, you maybe you if you pay any more attention than i do you can tell me but i just have the impression that these uh what are they monkey wrenches being thrown in the gears of the works of all kind of different things are they, they seem to be escalating from what I see, like train derailments, airport shutdowns, food supply interruptions. And, you know, you got the trans agenda and just all, so many things, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's that's so, the, it's the part of the trauma-induced mind control chaos. You know, if, if everywhere you turn there's something going wrong, you, you know, you, you hunker down, you don't do anything. And that's what they want us, I think that's what they want us doing. They want us waiting for the big event that'll never happen because if we're doing nothing, it's exactly what they want us to do. And, you know, also fear. A happy, healthy person doesn't need anything from anyone else. They don't need government. They don't need help. They just, they don't need to be sold anything, but they want everything, you know, the opposite of that. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm, so a big kinda... I'm a big believer in the snooze button. I see people around me wake up all the time and they just smack the snooze button. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that story from several people too. It's a, it was a kind of a movie uh, with I think, 
was it called sleepers or something where these people had you know, some kind of Parkinson's it wasn't Parkinson's, but they're, they're sort of catatonic. And then at some point he has some uh, remedy and they all sort of come awake for a little bit, but then they, they end up going back into catatonia. Uh, so I don't know, but it, yeah, it's kind of like that. You know, people snap at it for a second, but then they just revert. Um, yeah, maybe it's yeah. too much. Yeah, know. that's a big problem. And that's one of the, you know, I said it earlier, that's one of the tricks that they have down really tight is that if every conspiracy or, or um, if every part of the system that's uh, obviously fake or, you know, if each piece is linked to another, somebody starts to go down and they see their entire worldview would have to change. And like, oh, I'm just going to go eat dinner instead. I can't, I can't think about this. <laughs> and well, and that's, that's another problem that we have too. I think is that we now for me, it's going on 12, 13 years that I've been pretty steadily incrementally looking into all this stuff and absorbing information and, uh, jettisoning uh, pre- previously held beliefs and ideas about you know this place we live and how it operates, and it's like walking up a, a gradual incline of a hill or mountain until you know we're we're at a point where we're we're pretty high up there, and you start talking to people about this, and they're still way down at the bottom, and it's like, and you can't expect them to just like hop up there where you are. It's a kind of a long, slow process, I guess. And I, lo- I, I love get all I love the incremental changes. There's a meme that has like a guy. Uh, it says how it started, and he's like at the bottom pushing a huge, or just on a on a slope pushing a huge boulder, and then it says how it's going. It's the same picture. <laughs> it's yeah, it's not quite Sisyphus because it doesn't feature the boulder rolling back down. Just yet. Uh, yeah. No, but it's, yeah, we're still stuck right where it started. I, you know, I don't know. Um, I think that like the 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 key is is right in front of our faces, but nobody wants to do it. You know, nobody wants to to give a shit. Give a shit is what matters, and you can affect your local area, you can affect your local community, but you can't you can't wake the world up. I mean, there's no no whistleblower has ever been that effective. They're able to hit hit their events and their numbers with incredible precision and you know if we actually focus on the locus of control we that exists you know we wouldn't need the monoliths or they wouldn't you know be as important but you know i i've said multiple times in the past three years if you didn't have a phone and you never turn on your tv would you know about the train derailments would you know about the empty hospitals or would you know about the full hot you would know none of it and yeah, I mean, I'm, I kind of lost you there for a second about the well. When you said empty hospitals, that's when it kind of oh, lost you. That I, sort of empty a, hospitals or full hospitals or whatever was there. If we didn't have our phones and be reading them, and we didn't turn on the radio, and we didn't turn on the TV, would we know about any of this stuff? You would not. You would know about Susie down at the grocery store. You know about how Mike your neighbor's doing, and you know about a lot of other things, but you wouldn't be talking about this. And that's what we're always right, talking right. talk about. This, yeah. And and I think uh, to that point, as far as you know, change and I, I really kind of started to think that, and and I've heard this reference in other places that you know probably the bigger part of the 
work that I'm need to do and I'm in the process of doing now is is uh, bolstering and and fortifying the internal landscape, which you know, when I first started learning about this stuff, I didn't have much focus on that, and I was coming from that state of oh my god, we're in martial law and the jack boots are right around the corner and we're going to be in the FEMA camps and you start talking to people and and it's the same type of alarmism that they're hearing from the media only maybe even worse you know it's it, which it is the case for alternative media and and you know like the Alex Jones it's like uh it's a regurgitation of the mainstream story but there's additional elements that make it even more scary <laughs> yeah, so like, yeah, well, yeah. There's just more bad people instead of just the terrorists. Now the government's a terrorist too. Yeah, exactly. So that I think if you have to uh, have your own uh, internal landscape where you're sort of have a you know recognition of what's going on, but maybe you have your own solutions in place to how you're going to manage this, and then have some some peace of mind about it. So if you, you talk to people, they can see that you're not uh, coming from a place of uh, fear and anxiety. And then they're, you know, and that, that's, that's a big hurdle. And it has been for me. I mean, a lot so. of it for me was physical preps. Once all my physical preps were done, uh, you know, now it's uh, either sitting party or Molan lob. You know, come and get them. We're here. Um, yeah. You know, I have, I have five or six friends that are well off. We have a mountain plan, a boat plan, and a farm plan. If shit goes, you know, if shit goes down, we all have waterproof maps. We have gear, and we know what to do. And you know, it's not that complicated. You know, it's it's a hundred dollars worth of gear that you use to travel, plus whatever your your long term long term ish survival preps are. And then it's you know, chart the maps, make the drive. I get everybody together, have a few beers, do it one more time, and you're, you know, more prepped than 99% of people on the planet. And, you know, um, once that's done, it's kind of like, oh, there's nothing left to do other than something to go bad. And, you know, I remember uh, when I was younger, the first uh, conspiracies people I heard were like the remnants of the guys from the 60s saying how everybody was going to have to be hunting deer in Montana in the 70s or they'd be dead. And that never happened. Yeah, well, it's funny you should bring that up because that's exactly what I was thinking. And, and the, the thing I usually refer to is it was a Phil Donahue show that I watched. And he's back to the 80s, maybe early 80s. Uh, and he had what they called at the time, they called him survivalists. You remember that term? Uh, I'm sure, sure it's been around even a little bit you know, more recently. It's, it's, uh, they've adapted it to preppers now, and you know it, it's changed. But these guys, and they're exactly what you're talking about. They're in the mountains of Montana, and they have their silver bars that they're ready to cut up to barter with, and their MRE stashed in the uh, you know, boxes my, of ammo in the bunker. My, I heard was everybody was going to have to be there. That's what they thought. In the yeah. <laughs> well, well, happened. he he just he had like a panel on his show that he was interviewing, and they were you know oh the collapse is right around the corner, and we're we're prepared, we're ready to go. And I think about that, and this is what are we ninety two thousand two thousand forty going on fifty years now? If those guys are still up there in the mountains in the woods waiting for that collapse with their MREs and boxes of ammo. They missed out on a lot of stuff in the last 50 years. 
<laughs> I don't know if I want to be there. You know? It's not the plan. The plan is to have us waiting for something that will never happen while they boil the frog. That, that plays out over and over and over again with every event that goes by, with everything that happens. The only thing that could really cause trouble besides you know, the unforeseen, I'm sure there's a few events that could be, be a middle ground, is that the grid goes down. If electricity and water pressure go down permanently or for months, that will cause everything that could ever go wrong to go wrong. But they, the, why would they do all this 5G, all this stuff, to then turn off the grid they just built? I, I, I think they're going to... But, but see, I, the, the counter I have to that is my experience in Florida going through a number of hurricanes, five, six, however many times. Uh, uh, there were a couple of really serious ones that I was affected directly by. And every, every time what happens is all the neighbors come out and they somebody has a chainsaw and they get some ropes and they start clearing trees and everybody starts helping everybody. That's just how it works naturally. So I had a buddy you know, who was for 18 days in Miami. I know what you're talking what? about. I had a buddy for a hurricane. He, his area lost power everywhere for 18 days, almost a month, no power. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I, I went through that a couple of times. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, kinda, it was really it chill. I mean, we all, we all just, we'd go around and help the neighbors clear out their yard. People would come help us. And, you know, if you were short on water, I mean, it's just that, I think that's, for the most part, that's the way people are wired, kind of they have a natural, t I mean, when things are not in that shit hits the fan scenario, we're kind of busy with work doing our thing. But like when everything stops and things get really serious, I think people's tendency is to kind of, you know, band together and try to work it out. There was, the a question, there was a question on Reddit about like what, what was interesting about America to foreigners, right? And they said, yeah, my parents were from India. They, they uh, had a tire blow out on the rental. And within five minutes, there was 20 smiling people around them using their phones helping. Like that would never happen in my country. Like nobody's happy. First off, why would they be smiling? And that's just how this place is. But so I think you just you just nailed me as being a fear monger. I think you're right, baby. Right now, here's the question: Would the grid goes down? You know, you said everything's fine. I mean, is there is there a, a time limit on how long that could last? Like take Boston or Philly or D.C. or New York. Would it, would it ever get to the point where the inner city mob? goes out, causes chaos, and it causes, you know, a cascade of crap forever, or is that just a dream, too? Well, you know, that's probably what all these movies like The Purge and everything are designed to instill in people's minds that that's what would happen. But I think the reality might play out much differently, and it, you know, now that I think about it, it, it might actually work against the powers if they were to pull that. It might galvanize people well, they to come together and realize that they don't need all of this stuff and that there's workarounds and they'd figure it out. Now that, yeah, yeah, I mean, that may be overly optimistic, but I don't see it out of the realm as possibility. I mean, the, the, the controllers would lose their control grid at the same time. That doesn't sound crazy at all. And, you know, I guess if the grid goes down, right, here's the big thing. Nobody has to work. You can't go to work. <laughs> you, do, you, you get food and you go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, and you know, kind of the uh, the 
Oh man, I kind of kind of lost my my train there for for a second. Oh, well, oh yeah, no, no. Here, here's what I was going to say. I think the uh, putting these little minor things and having a grid go down and pockets some places, it's more beneficial to them to have everybody worried about what would happen if the grid went down than to actually do it. And, you know, that's the point I've made a couple times this morning is that that's what they want. Well, the only thing all this stuff is built around is a distraction. It's a distraction from doing anything positive. If they have distracted and waiting, we'll be waiting and waiting and waiting until the final solution, which might be a thousand years from now or it might be tomorrow, whatever. But they, that's what they want us doing is, is paying attention to them and waiting for them to go slowly boil it, boil the frog. And, you know, the other thing about that is, too, now, I, I kind of, you know, I work with a, a lot of young people in the industry. I'm, I'm kind of like the old dog in the industry now. And, you know, I don't have the impression that, you know, a lot of the younger people are really that dissatisfied with the way things are. Like, I had a friend who spent time in China and... He was kind of like, yeah, for the most part, they're, they're kind of into it. They like the whole communism thing. They like the CCP. I mean, there's, you know, dissidents. Uh, but uh, it's not like everybody's uh, in, in that sort of gray, drab, dreary you know, USSR, you know, shuffling around the breadline, whatever mentality. Like his impression was that people were kind of okay with it. Sure. So, yeah. Have you ever seen the interviews? That's kind of more the boiling frog thing is the the, uh, long-term acclimatization to the, you know, the closing of the the walls sort of the, you know, it's not like there's not real resistance to it. People are sort of accepting and, you know, that might be genuine for a lot of people and we might just be the, you know, <laughs> grumpy old men. Oh, no, the, people, the people don't feel the walls. Like I said, they're not in enough pain. I mean, what, what walls? Every wall that is still there, it has been there the whole time they've been here. And, you know, right. there's, there's interviews with, um, on, there's a YouTube channel that has, there's many, I'm sure you like, you know, interviews with people from the 30s, interview with people from the 40s. And I think it was like the 40s, 50s, and 60s, somewhere, I think it was 50s or 60s, this one I'm talking about came out. And they went around, they asked Americans, are you happy with with yourself, your life? And they, they had much more um, pragmatic answers as far as like what they said about what they would do differently. But the average guy was like, yeah. I think I'm pretty happy. And if I wasn't happy, I would go somewhere else and do something else. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi, I'm Trip Timmy from Morocco, and you're listening to Fakeologist Radio on Fakeologist.com. Man, Vars, it's been great to talk to you this morning. Um, you know, I... Yeah, yeah. Stepping step into my normal circle to like compare, <laughs> compare notes with somebody who I haven't in a long time or in a while. Um, there, there's a lot of things that like I'm seeing a little more clearly than I didn't, you know, 20 minutes ago. Oh well, uh, thanks for that. I guess, but yeah, it's been a great. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said it because I'm going to have to move on about my day. I've got uh, ammo to reload and uh, I got to polish my silver. What, what, what caliber? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. I don't uh, have an ammo reloader. <laughs> Good to hear from you, Farz. Like, 
<laughs> yeah, have you been pretty yeah. quiet here for the last half an hour or however long it's been? Uh, I guess you. Uh, I'm doing some stuff, and I'm not getting. No, I don't. I don't like to interrupt a free flow. So I didn't have much to say. So I just listened on and off as I was doing my stuff. But yeah, good chat. Good chat. Yeah, well, thanks so much for uh, responding this morning. I, I was kind of missing the uh, Saturday confab. It's nice to be able to do it again. So that was well, awesome. yeah, all anyone has to do is ping and wait. Don't, if you ping somebody, you got to wait a bit because not everyone, I don't check my phone every second. So I, if I look down at my phone every half an hour, if I see a, a ping there, then I go try and respond to it but uh yeah people have to hang around a little longer than five minutes otherwise they're going to miss each other so yeah just oh, ping and, me if you're available speaking of that i i pinged you uh well i think i pinged you from gilded initially but uh what, what's yeah the, you did you know, what's, the, what's the best way or is it all the same are you going to get the alerts whether it's gilded discord email whatever um in the free for all, just be uh, at fakeologist. Want to chat? Uh, the fakeologist yeah. Discord. Yeah, Discord. Yep. Yeah, yeah I, I get it from I, audio issues. With I get it building. from both places. I get okay. it from both places. Uh, you can also email me. I check my email more than anything else. I'm at fakeologist.com, so feel free to email. Um, that kind of thing. If, if anybody's getting on and they're not voice verified or you have mic problems, you know, uh, just ping, ping uh, me in Discord, same as, or direct message me from the uh, the Discord, Wild Times 3. Wild that sounds time. great, guys. Well, thanks so much, man. Excellent chat. Yeah, hey, yeah man. Good, have a great day. Take care. You too. Bye. Well, this name, Ab, this name was not chosen for me. It was chosen for the Times. Yeah, into the store. I'm sorry, say again. I didn't hear you that last thing. And yeah, the three was uh, because one and two were taken. Hi, I'm Baby. Something tried. This is Lost Fighter Fallis. I'm Nightly News. Right, Mike Manus. Adam Miller. You are listening to Fakeologist Radio at fakeologist.com. Now recording. Hey, I'm here. Honey. Two, two, one, two. One, two, two, one, two. Yeah. Yeah, you're really hoarse, eh? It's hard to, it's hard to understand you. It's um, like a different blank. Oh, I'm sure, man. It, this is the only thing, the last messages of whatever I call for my niece and my nephew. Oh, but the problem is, colds aren't contagious. I didn't say I, caught, I didn't say particles. You know, I should have said caught. Whatever they influenced me to deal with. Ah, uh, okay, that's better. We yeah. just don't have good language for that kind of uh, explanation, do we? You know, uh, the thing that I posted about languages and their constructions, it's really legit. But um, the big thing that does, I don't think it matters about... Uh, you know, them being a doctor, how it's just how our culture conflates so many things. Like, you know, if you say something smells, it's not a good term. It means it's bad, right? Yeah, usually. But let's remember that we 
sickness virology was born from demonology. We thought if someone oh, was sick, yeah, they were possessed. But I, I just I thought we were going to languages real quick. It's just so it, that smells right. Who that smells? But but your nose also smells, and that's your sense. And the act yeah. of smell, the act of smelling, the way something smells, and the sense itself all have the same symbol. The word smell is so restrictive. Well, yeah, English language isn't necessarily the best. For instance, I remember I described that. German, German, the German language has maybe five or six different words for the word love, depending on the context. Whereas um, English, they just have love. That's it. Yeah, yeah, we can add adjectives to it. There's ways to describe it. When I've, I've actually studied this for the past couple of years, even before that, about like what I just said about smell and that that symbolism. My my basic contention is like for you know we only interact with the world through those five senses. And that the act of smelling, you know, the, something smells and we smell and having that all wrapped up, you know, our feet smell, but our nose runs. That's backwards. Yeah. And we drive on a parkway and park on a driveway. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, the, the backwards nature of that, I think it's, it's, uh, it's meant to confound and confuse. It's not meant for communication or, you know, it's not meant to think. And, you know, the thing that uh, most people never think about is that we can only think in words we know. That means our vocabulary is how we think. And if they control the vocabulary, they can, it's mind control, literally. Yeah. Yeah, so um, you know, I've I've went through this with a French speaker, and we went over because it's a gendered language. You know, there's some unique um angles there, but no matter how we searched, there was never a way, like a pathway, that completely avoided the the problematic thing of the sense itself being called one thing and its action being called the same thing basically and then you know there's instances where that doesn't happen but then there's always an instance of it like with everything where it does happen and then it also links to something doing it so us doing it the thing doing it where we sense and the sense being called it I, that is the stupidest way you could think to symbolize something and, and for a language, you know, I heard someone say, I forget, it's somebody you know, it was a conspiracy guy, maybe like Fritz. He said, we're not very, uh, we're not very uh, materialistic, but we are very symbolistic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have yeah. you looked on FACO too? I mean, to switch the subject completely. Coronavirus is what you were talking about. Let's come back there after you're done. Oh yeah, I'm so I'm actually pretty tired of viruses. I can wrap the whole thing up in a paragraph. They cannot uh, prove contagion. Contagion is not scientifically provable. They don't even try because they know they can't. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, here's the thing about uh, lab science. It's pretty easy to repeat things comparatively to, like, other types of science. You know, they should have a minimum, you know, feel like, you know what an LD50 is? Yeah, lethal dose 50. So that's the dose where 50% of the people die, I or believe. Chick or chickens or whatever, right? Right. Yeah, there should be a virus contagion 50. Like, at this distance, after this much time, there's a 50% contagion rate, you know, pretty much all the time. 
they, they never get that because they never repeat experiments. But I, when I've challenged the biologist over in the other server, the microbiology one, they're like, well, the results aren't replicable. I'm like, no, you, where, where do you repeat the experiment? And they, they softest out with, well, we replicate the results. But the fact that there's not yeah. a, you know, a standard cage size, standard distance, standard time frame for the standard of for, for a certain virus and a certain animal, it's absurd. Yeah, virology is just demonology with a little scientific twist to it. It's, it's I, I hocus them, focus. I call them chimera alchemists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's my story. We don't have to talk about it anymore, but, it, you know, it's, it's honestly, it just gets stupider the more I look at it. Um, you know, you don't take species and inject their parts into another species, yet they do. Yeah, I really wonder if they really do any of that. I know they say they do it, but we have no way to prove that they do or do not do it. Like even fetal aborted tissue, that whole story. I really think that's just to rile people up. Personally, I there's just no proof. I just think they're they're putting toxins like arsenic and aluminum hydroxide in saline. That's about it. I mean, how would we, how would we prove it? You know, how would we prove it? So that means we gotta trust DNA, right? We really have to believe in so much of the story. If we don't trust these guys, they're criminals. Then why would they put anything much in? Just they just put enough in to make us ill or or, or kill us if we're weak. Yeah, well, I'm why would they about- spend any time? They would just, you know, that's my point. No, I, you know, that's the thing that I think is important to remember. Um, the liars lie and trying to decipher their lies, um, just gets you to understand that they lie, which we already know. Yeah. Do we really have to break down the lie? They just lie. And so nothing they can, they say it can be trusted. Uh, yeah. but I wanted to, um, bring up, I, I wanted to know if you had heard of this woman, Catherine Watt. Who's a paralegal who I put on Faco too? Um, I, I every don't week I find a new female that seems to be cracking the code, and this woman really um, breaks down the legal system and really makes a great case that this is a military operation. It's just uh, so I thought maybe since you live near the belly of the beast, maybe you'd have a perspective on that or an interest in that. Um, you know, I, that was my first into all of truth studies was, um, the legal system, the court system. Um, that's what I thought. I thought you had an interest there. Well, she really, I, if you haven't already, I'd really recommend watching. Yeah. um, Do you remember? Really, really good. Do you remember any? Just go, just go to com. I put two. I put part one and part two. Those are the latest videos I brought up or I've uploaded. And it's, I think I called it Catherine Watt COVID kill box. At least I tried to change the name of some reason. I couldn't uh, update the uh, video name, but it's the last two videos. And she goes through the act. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask what I think you're about to tell me. Have you ever heard of a kill box? That's a military term I hear. Have you ever heard of a kill box? 
I'm sorry, I was muted. Yeah, yes, it's a common term when you're, um, you know, trying to uh, to kill a group or a person of enemies. You create a kill box. Like an example of a bad kill box is if you and your partner are shooting across from from like you're trying to shoot at the guys, but you're also shooting at each other. You don't do that. You have overlapping fields of fire where you're not shooting towards your other 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 shooters. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, she describes this as the COVID kill box, and the kill box in this case is the entire world. <laughs> so that's pretty big yeah. area. Yeah, yeah. But what, what's new? What's new? The, the, the entire world's been their kill box since we've been here, right? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. But she that just does a really good breakdown of this I whole. Happen, but it's just like you know, the the evil people are evil. What do you do? But yeah, yeah. Let me know. Um, tell me what her salient points are, because it seems like you said there's always this new woman or this new person. I have I've noticed that since I started. It was Tommy Cryer, then it was Eddie Craig, then it was um Randy Kelton, and uh, you know, I wish more people would pay attention to these people because they have good points. And if all of us just did one of the things that one of them suggested, I think the world would look a little different. I don't think I've ever heard of any of those people. Um, Tommy Cryer was the guy who um, paid his secretary in gold coins. He was a lawyer from Louisiana. And because he paid her in the, the U.S. silver dollar, U.S. gold dollars, you know, she could just get paid a dollar, but it would go sell that dollar for 1400 bucks to get the gold store. And because she only got paid, you know, dollars, she didn't have to pay taxes. And the IRS came after him and he beat the IRS in open court. He was like the only one to do it that way. And Eddie, Eddie Craig, well, and Randy Kelton. I think Randy Kelton's passed for sure. Um, he was an activist in Texas, and so was Eddie Craig. Uh, Randy's was uh, general government auditing, and uh, Eddie Craig was into the right to travel. Okay. You ever heard of Charlie Sprinkle? No. Yeah, he's one to look up. Charlie Sprinkle, um, I think he, he this is right before, uh, the, either right before the 80s or 80s. Maybe I'm off by a couple of years, and it's closer to the 90s. But I think he was the the last guy to really beat the the system as far as right to travel. He really did win. Um, but like you know, of course, it goes unpublished and undocumented as far as uh, you know the the system could push it down, so nobody could use it as uh, for a precedent. Interesting. So yeah, tell me about her. What she's talking about the legal system. She breaks it down. Well, she was just explaining all the laws, the acts, and then the acts are interpreted interpreted as regulations by the agencies. And um, she was just going through the specific passages, specific parts of each regulation that implements the COVID pill box. And I just thought it was really interesting that she spent so many hours, thousands of hours, isolating the different parts, explaining why almost everything is happening the way it is it's all completely legal well it's all caught it's all codified but of course it's not necessarily constitutional but she just says that it's really hard to find all this info where where was it like just buried randomly all over the place yeah there's so many different um there's so many different um, laws. There's about five acts. The PrEP Act. There's 
she goes through them all, and she goes all the way back into the 60s. But she said it goes back farther, but she goes back to Nixon. And um, there's about six or seven acts, and then from the acts are the rules and regulations as interpreted by the agencies. And she's ex she's explaining how this whole thing would have to end. But it's a military operation. The vaccines are not vaccines, as we all know, but they're actually countermeasures, which I guess is another military term. Yeah, countermeasures are what a plane will shoot to knock down a missile. Okay, well, that's what the vaccines are. And we're all enemy combatants. Yeah, because you're... If you're attacking a plane with a missile, it, it's countermeasures like are like chaff. It'll shoot out a bunch of big uh, pieces of metal to get the radar of the supposedly the radar of the uh, the missile to go hit that chaff. Um, yeah, so they, so we're attacking them, and they're using countermeasures on us. Wonderful. Yeah, we're all enemy combatants. I guess is the the other way to look at it. So. It's just really interesting. And she said the only way this could end is they have to repeal a bunch of acts because otherwise it seems like the, uh, the who is a military operation as well. It's, um, well, <laughs> so I mean, public health is military because they have general, surgeon general. It's all a military operation. She's just explaining how, how they're doing it. We know they're doing it. There's no, arguing about it but it's how they're doing it that's that's really interesting i mean do you do you uh, agree with that premise that to end this we would have to repeal a bunch of acts i mean so let's say we could let's say we did i do you think they would stop uh maybe but how you get these act hacks repealed would be quite a quite an achievement if you could uh, do that yeah. but Sure, I've always thought that like, like, it makes more, makes more sense to try to just amend the Constitution than it does to like deal with all the piddly stuff. As, as citizens, we're supposed to be able to amend it. Why don't we amend it to like do something instead of nothing? I don't think you have to amend the Constitution. I'm on the You're listening to another hour of Fakeologist Radio on Fakeologist.com. And I wasn't, Ab, I wasn't suggesting that we would have to amend the Constitution, but I'm just saying we could. You know, people, people hate the Constitution, they complain about it, blah, 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 but as citizens, there is supposedly a mechanism where we can amend it. Nobody ever talks yeah. about it. If you if you bring it up, oh, that's impossible. Okay. Well, she, somebody somebody brought up the Magna Carta as well, and uh, Catherine was just saying, "Don't worry, people don't even know the Constitution. Don't you don't you don't really got to go back to the Magna Carta because the Constitution's actually better. <laughs> so, but people don't know it, and the people that say they know it don't really know it, and." Um, I just think you might find this talk really interesting if you're into legal stuff, because all she does uh, I, is just go through all the things. 
I totally will. It'll draw me in instantly. I already know it because uh, I'm like, just, like why when you go into a hospital, why does law enforcement come after you for trying to save your relative who the hospital's killing with the COVID protocol, which is remdesivir and the other drug, what is it, mazapalan, 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 or yeah, whatever the sedative is. You know, what it, you know, you're going in there because you know they're killing grandma, and the cop throws you out of the hospital because he's been drilled over the last ten years to recognize you as a public health risk, where you're you're trying to interfere with some public health mitigation to save the population. And part of that is killing grandma. <laughs> and, sure. But the cop, and, the cop doesn't hear that. You know, he doesn't know that. He, he just gets his orders, you know, from his squad commander, you know, the commander. And they're like, keep the people out because this is, you know, coming from high up. Well, yeah, because it's a public health. And, and she just points out all the laws that were built to um, make that happen. Do you that, know? That's, that's what I find that. really amazing. Do you know who Larkin Rose is? Yes, I do. I've yeah, heard of him. Yeah. yeah, I don't study his stuff because, like, I don't know that it needs to be studied. But you know, I, the thing that I get a little bit incredulous about, incredulous about, because I was in the beginning of my studies, like, it really meant a lot to me. I thought there was remedy there. Um, you know, what the government does is they write down it's legal for me to rob rob you and take your money. And now it's legal. Yeah. And, you know, you get pulled over by a cop. What do they say? They're like, oh, well, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're like, well, why can you do this? Well, some people you don't know that I've never met, I think they wrote it down so I can do it. That's literally how absurd the system is. So, um, yeah, I'll look through it because I think you can really discern, um, you know, strategy that they're using. But, God, if they started in the 60s, uh, laying down. Oh, yeah. So, well, even the Federal Reserve Act, but she, she said she could go back farther, but she just chooses to go back as far as necessary where it's really relevant what she's uh, finding. But the, he's one of these sort of savant types that, uh, oh, hold on. No. Because I'm curious, have you ever heard of the CFR app at all? I about that next. Anyway, she's one of these savants that um, I guess just has the time and the ability to process all of this information. So what she's doing, what she's doing, there's a, a thing that you learn when you study this stuff. It's called uh, construction. So statutes, the ones they're passing, there's a certain type of construction that they uh, they come in, you know, they're constructed a certain way. So are regulations. And then the way they interact, there there's, you know, methods to decipher how that they construct the final thing that they're, you know, alleging to want to do or do. Yeah. But so she... Do you know yeah, what the CFR they, is? The Code of Federal Regulations? Pardon me? Say again? The CFR, the Code of Federal Regulations. That's you know, that's all the regulations for the federal government. You know, they pass the laws, then they write the code. The code is the you know, the regulations that says how they try to implement Congress's will. You know, Congress passes yes, the law. I, I don't know. Yeah, I she she alluded to that and I was understanding uh -huh. it through what she was saying, but I'd never I 
it's news. It's new to me. So it's I'm new, trying to new. figure out. Yeah, I've read stuff. It's just huge. I'm trying to figure out how many right now on my iPad. I'm trying to figure out how many pages it is. It is so big. Like, you know, when you said that they've been doing it from the 60s, there is no way that, like, uh, there has to be an AI that wrote this. People would not have the time. So in 1980, 22,000 pages. As of now, the Code of Federal Regulations is 185,000 pages. Oh, my God. So it's one big code, huh? Um, so one big, yeah, it's divided into, um, uh, here we go. Right, one more page, one more back. Is the guy is divided into 15 or 25, 50. It's divided into 50 different titles. So, you know, uh, title 18 is the criminal code for, for the federal. Interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. So general provisions, grants and agreements. Title three is the president. Um, Agriculture, security, energy, elections, banks, aeronautics, commerce, three for commerce, securities, customs, food and drugs, foreign relations, highways, Indians. Title 26 is internal revenue, ATF below that, national defense, education, public health, transportation, wildlife. I, you know, I skipped a bunch, but yeah, there you go. Each one is, you know, title this, and then um, they uh, that's where all the the reg the Congress passes the law. It's the law, but they don't they don't have that as the cop enforce the law because they can't just you know read Congress's intent out of what passed through the House or whatever it was signed by the president and just know. So these regulations uh, that what, what are they use promulgate? They trickle down from above, and it, it turns into a piece of paper. The guy on the duty uh, commander can tell his cops how to do it, so it trickles back up, and they get the results they want. Interesting. Yeah, one hundred eighty-five thousand pages. I mean, there. They, who is this? Um, you know, there has the Congress passes this law, and then it gets to the duty commander, the watch commander. Who's in between that? Who's writing these regulations? I mean, there has to be thousands and thousands of people, I would think, or or something. I mean, who are they? I guess the place to look would maybe be the OMB, the Office of Management and Budget. Now, I'm just like talking through this. Um, they are the ones that that have to um make sure the uh, each form has a number, and that number can be tracked um for everything it does. Well, that's what she does. That's what she does. She tracks all these down, and it only, it only, she only has to, there's only a few paragraphs, maybe 10 different sections that apply to this whole thing, including the fact that, um, the other thing is the testing, the whole drug testing, the emergency use authorization, all of these things don't have to be done with, with, with co with countermeasures, and the FDA knows all this. So they just go through the they just go through the motions as if they were supposed to do it, but they don't have to do any of it. What do you mean by that? that they they don't have to be done with countermeasures. Oh, so they don't they don't need to test. They can still shoot us up. Yeah, the whole the whole charade that the FDA is approving anything. They don't have to. None of it has to be approved under these laws. None of it. 
Did you ever? Guys, it's all it's all military countermeasures. So anytime the FDA says, "Oh, we approve it," they're not a, they're not going by. It's going right around the FDA regulations. So these guys are just doing pantomime, pretending they're doing it, but they're not because they don't. You do. They're all absolved too legally. Like everyone, all the way down to the doctors, are absolved of liability. Sure. I mean, that's what they do. They, we, uh, in legal, uh, watching, we call it jurisdiction shop. You know, they, they spread all the, uh, jurisdictions that are involved in it out to everybody. That way that they can pick one if they ever get jammed up. They'll, they'll shop the best jurisdiction. And so, um, did you hear what the, or did you see what the Australian, um, government had to pass to do the injections. It was, uh, authorization to administer poison just because the vaccines are classified as a poison in Australia. And it's, it's a little bit more, uh, um. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, it's a little Nobody bit more. would believe that if you told them. But yeah, I, I remember that part. So it's a little more technical. It's just like a term of art. It's just what they were defined as in the code more than it is a poison, but it's just funny. Yes, yes, I remember hearing that. And you're right, nobody would believe it. That's, I mean, that continues to be the issue, doesn't it? That nobody believes any of this is happening? Yeah, it's too ridiculous for anyone to believe, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the hard part. It's too ridiculous for everyone to believe. I, well, you know, I've been asked a lot of times, like, where is the... Where is the the ground we can get our feet on? It seems like they lie about everything. You know, they gotta be truthful about something. And the answer's kind of like no, they don't. Because if they did tell the truth about something, someone might find it, and then you could use that to like try to find something that's untrue. But if they lie about everything, there's nothing to find. Correct. Well, that's my recommendation for you for today. Uh, yeah, I've already got it pulled up. I think you'll get something out of it. Oh, I'm sure I will. It's been a while since I've gone through uh, through legal stuff like statutes, so I'd, I'd look forward to um, to doing it. You, you know Lark from Texas? Yes, I've had him on the show a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to get him to come on now. Oh, okay. Uh, he'll probably come on. He likes to chat. Yeah, we met through Discord and we chatted for a while. He is a smart man. He's been doing this forever. I know. It's crazy how long he's been looking into this stuff. I don't know how he can still be interested after all this time. You after know, my, all, I, I, I would I would have moved on. Um, you know, people say that about you too. That you're, um, I feel like you've been a a stalwart for the truth forever. Yeah, that's true. That's that is true. But I talk about a million different things. If I was just talking about nine eleven today, I would be suspicious. I, I really am just commenting on whatever's happening. Yeah, uh, but I, you know, current, current events with my with my own filter. There's unlimited content when you're a fakeologist because there's current events and they're all fake. So I'm not just talking about one single thing, as you know. Sure, but you're doing one single job, which is being the only um, content creator, or excuse me, content curator that uh, allows real um, truth or free speech. Nobody, everybody else has a box. Yeah. 
you know, you actually let people say what they want to say and trust that your um, users have enough uh, discernment to maybe not believe everything or believe stuff. And, you know, that's what adults do. But, um, you know, nobody else seems to be able to do that. And then the fact you've been doing it for so long and, and put your, uh, you know, honor and fortune, um, um, yeah, I don't say a risk, but you, you know, it's what you throw out to, to do it. It's, it's awesome, man. That's why I'm here. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, it's a labor of love. I couldn't do it as a job, but I do it as a hobby and keeps me busy. Yeah, you know, um, I have hobbies too, but I, I tend to get bored of them usually. I mean, this type of thing, like where the landscape's always changing and changing, it keeps me, um, it keeps me engaged. You know, I have been doing this now, um, about 15 years, give or take. Oh, yeah. I had two men. Yeah, I had two mentors that, uh, that, uh, you know, took me to a level I thought I'd never get to because I didn't know existed pretty fast. And then, um, you know, yeah, I think I've been in this long with everybody else. That's all, folks. (laughs) 